Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast. Recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. I'm your host, Tim, and as always, joining me via the miracles of Skype is Carlo. How are you today, Carlo? Oh, Lavelle's not here. I'm all thrown off. <laughs> uh, the rhythm, good, the rhythm is different. The rhythm, <laughs> the rhythm today is a little different. We were just about to record, and then Lavelle got called off to finish a proposal that's due tomorrow, so he won't be able to join us this episode. Um, luckily, here in episode 26, the three of us had previously recorded the bulk of this show as a recap of Basement Wargamer's Summer Slaughter 2019 tournament, which was a few weeks ago now, but we had recorded that a few days after the tournament to kind of get, you know, to record it while our minds were still fresh and our memories were still clear on the devastation that took place at that tournament out there in Phoenixville. <laughs> <laughs> and devastation there was, as you'll hear in the upcoming segment. Uh, originally, we had planned on doing um, a future history segment on Imperial Assassins, members of the Officio Assassinorum. Um, but that's something Lavelle really knows a ton about, so we're going to hold off on that. We had also planned on finally doing our book review of uh, Scatarius, but we'll hold off on doing that because the three of us did read that, and there's a lot to talk about there. But we'll put that in the next episode, which we'll get out pretty soon, um, sooner than a month, because uh, this one is a little bit late, too, because of various life commitments and things happening and summertime shenanigans. If you like what you hear in today's episode, do leave us a review on iTunes, on Spotify, on any of the podcasting apps that you might be listening to this show through. Uh, that helps us get up in the the podcast rankings and helps us grow our listener base. Now, if you're on Facebook or Instagram, you can find us at Crew Shaken. We post a lot of stuff to Instagram on 40K and the other gaming systems that we play. Um, we currently have a giveaway going on right now. I have uh, one left of a Warhammer 40,000 Funko Pop. It's a painting challenge. You are, you are, uh, if you accept the Funko Pop, which we're sending to you for nothing, if you live here in the we own your Oh, that's I it. Mean, that's it. No. You got to sign on the line. <laughs> um, so if, if if you want one, send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. We'll send it to you free of charge. We just ask that you repaint it in the style of your army or any way you wish, and then send us a photograph back of the fully repainted Funko Pop. And the winner of that challenge will send a box of miniatures too. That's the deal. So do reach out if you are a painter and if you feel like painting something at a slightly larger scale, like a Funko Pop. The one we have left is the uh, Ultramarines Intercessor which, of course, can be repainted to look like any particular chapter or legion that you wish. Uh, as always, we'll start off today's show with hobby progress. Then we're going to fly right into our Summer Slaughter 2019 recap. And then we'll uh, close out the show, and I promise we will record the next episode, which will be about assassins and our book review uh, sooner rather than later. Carlo, you and I have been in touch over the last couple of days. I know you've been super busy on some new hobby stuff, so why don't you uh, fill us in on your hobby progress since we last spoke? Yeah, well, I think I talked about in the Summer Slaughter recap how I painted like 1,400 points of Space Wolves in one night. It was a heroic, it really was a heroic, it was a heroic <laughs> effort. You really put a lot of work into them in a short amount of time, and they looked awesome. They were more than tabletop ready. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so as much as I vowed never to rush on an army again... Here I am, like a week from Nova, or was it a week or two at this point? It's like two, kind of like a week and a half. And I am 
uh, in the last four days, I've built 2,000 points of Tau. I bought three of those Vanguard boxes and some uh, Fire Warriors and uh, a couple HQs. And I have built, in the last four days, 2,000 points of it. And I just finished priming the drones. So a uh, couple more. I have Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I'm going to be dedicating to airbrushing everything, uh, as well as like some time tonight and tomorrow uh it's currently tuesday so i think right it's yep. tuesday mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know yep. anymore i don't know it is tuesday Days all day so quick <laughs> tuesday all day uh, how many how many points yep. did you build Two thousand points that's pretty badass yeah it was i built three riptides in one day damn i built three crisis suits three commanders and 27 drones so how do you on the other day? How do you physically on the other three days. How do you physically feel about spending that much time on on a project? It actually wasn't that bad. I actually I really enjoyed it because um, Tau is an army I've been looking forward to playing and working with, you know, hobbying on. And um, I've seen so much of the Adeptus Astartes, like the Space Marines. I've built a lot of them, I've painted a lot of them. It's a good uh, change up to something that I really enjoy. Um, and, uh, I, I got the physical codex. Grant was nice enough to give me his cause he played Tau for like a month and he didn't really like them. So, um, I was able to get a hardcover from him. And then I also bought the enhanced edition for the, uh, iPhone so that I could get the up- updated errata right in with the codex, yeah. you know? And, uh, you know, it just seems. I think. I think it's going to be a good change of pace. Like I'm used to playing a close combat army that I have to focus on moving around the board all, all the time. I have like a. It's not until the later turns that that army really gets to shine. Where the Tau, I feel like I'm going to be able to start off and like guns blazing, basically. So, um, I've read a few other strategies. I've been looking through uh, on the BCP app a lot of their uh, top tier lists. This is something that Grant actually figured out on uh, the BCP app. You can look up any list, any uh, faction you want and see all the lists from any like uh, time scale of months. Sure. So um, I've been looking at the top list in the past couple of months and that's kind of how I built my list and uh, I've been running it across. Uh, I don't, as you know, like we're kind of forming a competitive team in Philadelphia now. So there's four of us at the moment. So I've been running across the other three guys and they, um, like the list after a couple, um, uh, renditions, you know? Yeah. But, uh, um, it's, it's been fun. I, you know, I haven't felt, and also my hobby space, I've, I've spruced up a little bit too. So it's like, it's been more, I'm in a more comfortable spot. I put a new light bar in there. That's an LED that I have a lot more light now. Oh, cool. Um, so I can see what I'm doing. Yep. Always helps. Um, yep. yep. Um, you know, other than that, uh, I'm looking forward to, I picked a pretty cool color scheme. I'm going with like a red, uh, fading up to orange with some, uh, white stripes and some, uh, black armor panels and stuff. So it's, I'm hoping it looks pretty cool with, uh, like, a. a a uh, blue glow effect on the Nova reactors. So Sweet. I found a, a picture on Pinterest. That I'm trying to emulate. So 
uh, whoever painted it, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> have you been um, Have you been thinking about a narrative for the army? Uh, not yet. I haven't got a chance to read too much of the lore, okay. so I'm gonna try and do that. I, it's basically um, a few like a month ago or so. I, I don't know if it's been that long. Maybe two months. Um, Sasha and uh, Kristoff were still looking for a third teammate for their trios team. Yeah, and I'm not able. I originally planned on not going to Nova at all this year, but. Uh, I can go that Thursday and Friday because I don't have work those days. So I figured, you know, I'd help them out, go down on, on Thursday, playing trios with them. But that left me with like, do I want to play wolves again? Or do I want to get this tower army started? Yeah. So, you know, I got, uh, got a little bit of a fire under my butt now with this. And I gotta, I don't want to rush it. You know, I'm not gonna, um, paint the army i wouldn't say to completion like i'm not like if i if i can't if i don't have the time um because i do want it to be a better end result than the space wolves than how they look cool but uh, i am gonna get like three colors on it and make it look presentable on the table of course awesome but, yeah and does do the tau fit into the uh, trios kind of lineup is there any kind of reason for your tau to be with the other two armies or you're not really concerned about that um, so our theme, like, uh, the way that Al- Alex has built our display boards, he's kind of taken your role as last year kind okay, of yeah, thing, sure. you know? Yeah. So, uh, um, he's actually, uh, the theme behind it is that we're fighting Tyranids. So he's decorated the display board with some Tyranids and we're all dropping it on it. And Kristoff is playing, uh, Eldar, but Alex is playing a space Marine. So there's not really that, um, coherency in terms of faction yeah as you would normally or because i guess it's normally you want xenos with xenos and uh chaos with chaos and marines with marines but uh or imperial rather but um i don't think it really i think people have been getting away with not doing it that route the last couple of years right i don't know who won last year but uh in terms of theme but right. i feel like it's more important that you have a good story and i think we're more so going for if if any of the three we would try and go for painting so it really depends on how well i can get my how um good looking my army can be in the in the next week <laughs> nice nice yeah because <laughs> uh, those two guys have great looking armies so oh that sounds great um what about you how's your hobby progress going Tim? it's been um it's been an intense couple of weeks i was uh I was planning on having kind of a slower period with my work schedule, but that didn't really work out to be the case. So largely I've been like doing a bunch of reading and doing a little bit of painting. Um, I've been doing a lot of purchasing because, you know, every time, (laughs) every time I get some money in my pocket, I go and spend it. So, so I've been seeing that on the, on the messages. It's like, uh, the Lavelle, the Lavelle fever kind of, yeah. You know? Yeah. I see, I see it, him post a few things. I'm like, that's normal. And I see Tim like post like two or three <laughs> things that he bought. I'm like, wait a minute. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I got to separate you two. It was, a good, it was a good, it was a good couple of weeks. So, um, I bought Warcry, which is the age of Sigmar skirmish game box. Um, I read the rule book and I looked at all the stuff. It looks awesome. The, um, the rules are really cool. It's a dice uh, pool 
mechanic, kind of similar to Blackstone Fortress, where you roll a bunch of dice at the beginning of your turn, and you can spend pairs, trios, or four of a kind of those dice on certain abilities that your warband might have, which is kind of cool. There's also no to-wound roll. Like, you just roll a hit roll, and then an armor roll, and then you distribute damage, which kind of keeps the pace up a little bit. Oh! Yeah, it's That's pretty cool. cool. It's pretty cool, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of neat rules. Um, I look forward to building and painting that stuff. There's a lot to get through, so it'll be some time before I can really play it in earnest, but it looks uh, looks pretty awesome. I kind of um, like that a lot. They've taken that that mid step out. Yeah, there. it was it was cool. Yeah. It's like okay, okay, uh, you you know the the attacker rolls, then the defender rolls, and then you move on, which is kind of neat. So it could be good. The jury is still out, but uh, but I'm looking forward to trying that for the first time as soon as possible. How, how, how are the models? The models good? are incredible. Those iron golem models just look awesome. They're like deep sea divers with like huge like balls of spikes on their fists, and there's the untamed beasts who have kind of just a like a real brutal, savage kind of Conan look to them, and they, they look good. Um, they look more in keeping with some of the stuff that we've seen from AOS in the past, I feel like, especially compared to, like, corn Berserkers. They have that kind of look to them. But the Iron Golem are something totally different. And then there's several other new factions that you can buy outside of that starter box, which are really, really strange-looking. There's, the there's one faction where they, they cut off their own faces and put their own face, like, on their armor, so they have nothing but this, like, skull, Ugh. this masked skull visage where their face should be. Wait, it's really kind of gross. What? Yeah, yeah. They cut off their own faces? Yep, they, they, like, they, they cut their own faces off and just put their own face, like, on their army and, and just leave their faces looking really messed up and with masks on, and it's really, it's pretty intense. That yeah. is bizarre. It's yeah. like that uh, John Travolta movie. It face off. off. It's just like face off. It's just like Except face it's face, off. it's face off. And then back then on. on. And then on. Yeah. Somewhere else. Face yeah. off on. It's as, <laughs> it's as if John Travolta turned his face into a belt buckle in that movie. And that that's, is, that's, uh, that's disgusting, Tim. It's pretty nasty, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what I was surprised by, too? I just picked up the recent uh, White Dwarf for August. I'm a little late for this one, but there's a short story in there set in the, you know, the War Cry uh, setting, and it's actually pretty gross. Like, there's some, there's some serious blood, guts, and gore associated with Warcry, which is kind of cool. It's like a super... Not that Age of Sigmar wasn't always dark and kind of gloomy, but this one is particularly brutal and violent and bloody. I was actually surprised that, you know, White Dwarf does try to be a you know family-friendly kind of all-ages magazine, but this one had some some skulls and brains getting smashed in and whatnot. I was like, ooh, that's kind of gross. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty serious. So I look forward to, you know, to getting into that. I'm, I'm really, really stoked about that. Um, I painted uh, some Skaven units for a friend of mine, which was really cool. That's an Age of Sigmar faction. They're like the Tau in that they're so shooty, but they're all rats, which is kind of cool. They're rats with, like, warp technology, which is pretty neat. Um, I picked up the uh, Titanicus uh, Battle Group boxed set, which has a Warlord, a Reaver, and two Warhounds in it. Uh, I bought the rule set and one of the campaign books, and I was just, I was just got really into it. Like, I, and I was just reading. I haven't even played a game yet, but I got really into the rule book. I loved the way it was laid out. I liked the way the game sounds. And then I read the, uh, the Doom of Molek, campaign book, which is you know, uh, what's the name? Uh, Vengeful Spirit is one of my favorite, uh, Horus Heresy novels, which is set on Molek, if I'm not mistaken. That's the one where Molek happens. 
if I'm wrong, forgive me, but there's a Horace Heresy novel that's all about Molech, and I love that book, love that story. So the campaign book based on that planet really grabbed me, and I want to build some stuff and just play through that campaign book. I'm really super into that. And the the battle group, I got a good deal on the battle group. eBay had like a 10% back thing. You get 10% eBay bucks back last week, so that was a good, a good deal. Uh, so I was happy to jump on that. I also picked up this new game... I'm a total sucker for this kind of thing. Uh, another game to add to my collection of games that nobody will ever play. Um, <clears throat> it's called Conquest, The Last Argument of Kings. It's made by a yeah, company... Have you, have you, have you seen too this? Long of a t- it's way yeah, no, too long of a title. The, t- the title is um, awful, right? The t- let's talk, we'll talk about the title in a second. Because so I'm not going to be like, hey, Tim, can we go play some Conquest? Is it Argument of Kings? Yeah. I don't even know how... What no, are, it's, it's yeah, really okay. corny. It's super corny. Yeah. It's super corny. <laughs> Um, first of all, there's a million games named Conquest. The search engine optimization for the word Conquest game is, like, terrible. Like, you're not going to get any good results from searching for right. anywhere, right? Sure, if you type in Conquest, colon, the last argument of kings, you'll get to where you need to get. But who wants to type all that in, right? It's it's a dumb title. It's a really bad title. Um, it's they should have just this... called it Argument of Kings. That argument... would have almost been better. Or, like, argument. King Fight. King Fight. <laughs> <laughs> Or just the last argument, like that's kind of a cool punchy title too. Or the, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a good or, or the last laugh, or the I don't know last kings, the, the last kings. That's kind of cool. Final king smackdown. Even just WWE. Con- even, you know, con- conquest. It's just not a good. Do you want to play conquest? Like, do you mean the forty k card game? What do you mean when you say do you want to play conquest? It's <laughs> like four or five different games called conquest. Yep. So anyhow, it's made by this company based in Cyprus. Uh, and they got a rule set and a game mechanic, and the whole game was developed by, I had the name on the top of my head, but he was one of the last rules writers for Warhammer Fantasy Battle before it became Age of Sigmar. So it is a rank-and-file square base where there's like a bunch of round bases on a square kind of uh, movement aid, movement template, you know? Interesting. So it's rank-and-file, Again, I got a great the, – the, 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 the starter kit has a ton of models in it. And by the way, before I talk about what I got, these are bigger scaled models. So I saw this game at Adepticon, I think, two years ago, or I think it was Adepticon. And it, they had this massive display board set up. It was like a snow field with this castle wall. And the cavalry were like the size of – trying to think of a good 40K equivalent to what a cavalry was the size of – like a biker stacked too high, like a space marine biker stacked too high. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like a big, mm-hmm. it was a big guy riding a huge horse. The foot soldiers are like, a, you know, a good head and shoulders above space marines, you know, primaris marines. And then they have these monsters and elites. And there was a lot of really big stuff on this table. And I said, I walked around the table. I said, oh, it looks kind of cool. You know, good luck, fellas. You know, you're trying to start it. I don't know. They seemed like they came out of nowhere with this big table and all this stuff on it. So I don't know how I re- rediscovered it or was reminded of it a few weeks ago. And I started checking it out at their website. They have a nice little website. All the rules are free. They have uh, two factions out right now with two more coming next month. The art style is what got me. The images of this one faction called the Spire, which are like these um, aliens that have come to this world of Aea. And they really, they, they, they came to this world and they kind of messed everything up and they can't get off the world or something. And they started to bring some of their civilization back down. And they all got kind of trapped there. And there are these weird kind of willowy looking 
humanoidish kind of strange beings and they can um they can graft and mutate flesh and organic material kind of at their will so their warriors are really strange looking humanoids and it's it's kind of a cool setting the box i got the the box set has two factions in it a ton of stuff in the box she two big I'm looking armies. at them i'm looking at the models right now they look awesome yeah the models are really yeah. good looking yeah um, the abomination model, which is basically like a, it's like a walking jail cell that, uh, that like they, they trap a, a, a bad spire. I think all the spire are bad by the way, but there's a, I think, you know, like as punishment, they lock a spire member, a spire uh, citizen, if you will, in this abomination and they have to live their life out in this like rage filled coffin kind of dreadnaughty kind of vibe. I don't know. It seemed really neat. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> it seems neat. I'm going to build it and paint it. Maybe I'll play a few games of it. I got a great deal on the starter box. It's not widely distributed in the U S yet. Miniature market has it. Um, and miniature market has all the, you know, the expansion boxes for it, of which there are quite a few actually for a, a small company that's doing all their own, all their own stuff. They've actually have hit the ground running. And oh, wow. um, yeah, it's pretty. It's it's pretty neat. I'll, I'll build it. I'll report back if it's any good. The rules seem kind of interesting. There's cards that you can buff things with, and I don't know. I'll give it a shot. I like the artwork, so I may never play it, but it's there in the closet now. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, what's interesting to me is that they have round bases inside of square base bases. Yeah, even for the guys that are by themselves. Right. <laughs> right. So. What is that? That's like, weird, right? So the to, <laughs> to describe what Carl has mentioned, the abomination is on like a probably like an eighty millimeter base. It's a big round base, but that eighty millimeter base is sitting in its own slightly larger square section. I don't. Uh, I'm not really too sure. Separated. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, like it's weird. Even on the box art. Yeah. Like they've clearly separated those pieces. It's not like they've like glued that inner basin so is there a purpose to that i'm, I'm wondering like i'm not sure i don't know if you form like a battalion of two of those together and you want to just like always have them squished right next to each other for some reason yeah. part of me wants to try the game without any of those square base holders and just play it like a you know quote-unquote normal war game where there are just circular bases under everybody i'm not sure yeah but then you're like eliminating the the convenience factor yeah, the... You're, yeah exactly you're taking the convenience haven't out. you like looked at 40k and gone man i wish this was easier to move these yes. guys around yeah it's true. it's true you're not wrong you're not wrong at all yeah. we'll see i'll get into that soon um in terms of games after summer slaughter i took a week off and then i got uh, i got some infinity games in i just got two games in with jeff today actually what up jeff thanks for the two games uh those were to prep for nova open where i'm playing in the infinity night fight which i just looked up the mission pack for uh, last week or the week before it's not actually like an infinity tournament setting it's more of a narrative rpg kind of session which is kind of cool because it starts at nine goes until whenever so it'll probably be really casual the mission pack just said yeah just bring a bunch of minis and some dice and we'll have some fun so i'm gonna do that i'm gonna bring all my uh yu ching stuff down there and have some fun at this infinity night fight hopefully to- that's to pretty get- cool yeah i think that'll be that'll, yeah. that'll be pretty neat so we'll see what that's about and maybe while i'm down there i'll get some other what the- what day is that uh that's friday night i think Friday night. I think okay. it's Friday night. Yeah, I think it's Friday night. And uh, and of course, you know, the big gaming event was Summer Slaughter, which we're going to cover in the next section. But that was super cool. Um, it was a good two days of you know intense gaming. It was a, it was a lot. It was five rounds. It was great. Uh, congratulations to Thomas, who I saw today playing a game against Grant. Uh, Thomas took fifteenth place, which was the best in our little cadre of people who came out from Philly to Phoenixville. So. 
cheers to you, Thomas. A great game with his really uh, effective Admech army. A bunch of those Scorpius tanks causing wreck left, right, and center. Which I haven't bought yet for my Admech army. I really have to get those. I could use them as both transports and as tank uh, models. I gotta yeah, those things, Admech are apparently really good right now. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and you know, speaking of really good right now, I did try to buy the new Space Marine Codex, but it was sold out at the store that I went to. So, shoot. Yeah, I still got to get that Space Marine Codex because my Iron Hands are going to be awesome with drop pods and another Land Raider and woo woo. Oh yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm excited for like my old school Iron Hands army to have just a bit more tooth. Cool. With that, we will take a short break. We will come back with. Section 2 and sort of Section 3, which is our Summer Slaughter 2019 recap. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Section 3, Tactical Upload. We're stoked about this one. This will be our Summer Slaughter 2019 GT recap section. You've heard us talk about this tournament. You've heard us talk about the club that put it together, the Basement Wargamers, based around Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Uh, we won't get too much into the details of the ins and the outs of, of them or the tournament, etc. It's a GT. It was great. There was a ton of people there. It was super competitive. Um, we're going to talk about how we did. going to talk about things that we learned, things that we would change if we could do it all over again, and things that we thought went really well with our lists. In the last episode, we had talked about what we were planning on taking. We had uh, briefly mentioned some of the tactics and maybe things we were hoping would work for our armies based upon the mission pack. Um, So let's start the conversation there. With that in mind, uh, round one, invasion. I'll get us started off, if that's okay, gentlemen. Shoot. Go for it. Round one, invasion. This is the uh, mission pack. Round one was called Invasion. This is, these are ITC missions. You pick three secondaries. You pick whether you're going to do progressive, meaning uh, start of player turn uh, objective scoring or end of game objective scoring. End of game objectives are worth three points. Progressive objective scoring is worth one point each at the start of each player turn, starting with round two. Um, my opponent was Carl Vela. Carl and I have played before. He's a really great player, really great sportsman. As I said, halfway through our game, somebody else came over and asked how it was going. I said, you know, Carl's a really great guy to lose to because his energy is awesome. He's really a total gentleman about spearing the battlefield with your army. Um, He had a really cool list. He had brought the Slanesh Demons of the Enlightened. That's what he called his list, which is a mix of Alpha Legion Space Marines and Slanesh Demons. Now, the big thing that I want to talk about with this game was... The possessed. This was a, a. It was a unit of twenty elite Alpha Legion Space Marines. They had the mark of Slanesh. They had the icon of excess. He had a greater possessed, and he had some uh, a dark disciple in there. And at the beginning of the game, Carl said, "This is what I'm going to do with this unit." It was Dawn of War deployment. He was. He said, "This unit is just going to come over there and just wipe out everything on your side of the board." <laughs> and that's pretty much. And that's pretty much what happened. Uh, this. This proved to be really, really challenging because of their Alpha Legion, um, you know, their minus one to hit based on the distance uh, from the attacking army, from the shooting army. Uh, they were super tough to take down. He had planned the use of stratagems and those one-time use 
Slanesh abilities perfectly, and the possessed did exactly what he had wanted them to do, which was come across, get in tight with my army, which I wanted to happen, as Grey Knights, largely with the Falchions, which give them plus one attack, with the Paladin Ancient, who gives them another plus one attack within six inches. I wanted to get in. For all my games, I was just planning on playing super aggressively, getting in the mix with my opponent as early as possible, and seeing how the dice were rolling with all those attacks. So I wanted to take advantage of the fact that I had a lot of dice on the board in the in the uh, for close combat. And so I thought, great, this will come at me. This will be good. So I marked the unit of Slanesh for... Uh, marked for death. You pick four units you want to eliminate, and you get a point for each of those units. I picked, uh, he had a couple of units of demonettes. He had a unit of uh, cultists. So I picked, you know, the chaffier units to take off the board for marked for death, and I picked the possessed, which proved to be a big mistake because I just could not take the damned things off the board. It was, I lasted until turn five. I had my lone um, dread knight with the uh, heavy incinerator and the, the psi cannon. Standing there, one wound left, tabled me turn five. The score was 27 to 12, I think, or 27 to 14. Some, there was a big disparity in the score because I just could not get far enough across the board around those possessed to threaten uh, enough objectives and to threaten the demonettes and the uh, cultists that I needed for, um, uh, for more uh, battle points, for more victory points. Some things I liked about my list, um, I kept a lot of my elites in all my games in Deep Strike coming in turn two and then in turn three. So having paladins coming in, you know, three wound terminator paladins basically come in turn three was good. I was able to put some put some work in with, with them because they're, they're a pretty cool unit to have. Three units, uh, three wound terminators are pretty badass. I was able to put them next to the Brotherhood Ancient, which gave them plus one attacks, etc., um, so that was, I liked that. I liked how that felt, being able to bring in some elites turn two and turn three. Uh, I clearly didn't have enough, and this was true of all of my games, I clearly didn't have enough troops on the ground to hold objectives long enough. I wound up leaving elites on objectives when I should have had elites probably more focused on uh, getting out in the mix with my opponents and protecting the troops or other objective-holding units from uh, from getting uh, taken off the objectives towards the later rounds of the game. So it was really rough, um, but it was super, super fun. Um, he had, I'll just give you some more details of his list, which I still have nightmares about. Um, he did bring the Contorted Epitome, which is kind of awesome. It had the Forbidden Gem, and it was his warlord with the celerity of Slanesh. Uh, he did have a sorcerer with a, sorcerer with a jump pack, uh, 30 demonettes, three obliterators, and those obliterators. Let's talk about the obliterators for a second. To roll for strength... Number of it's a roll for number of attacks, number of shots, strength, and AP is pretty nasty. He was rolling really high every time he used the obliterators, and he used the stratagem where he could fight, uh, he could shoot a second time. And I think he saved. He had 14 command points, so I think he saved some command points uh, so he could shoot twice with his three obliterators on three different rounds, if I recall correctly. So there was just a ton of high strength, high AP. At one point, it was three damage each. Uh, at one point, it was one damage each, but still, it was just a ton of shots coming from those obliterators that just tore up everything that wasn't mixed up with his possessed. Uh, so that, that was a really, that was a, a, a tough unit to be against as well. Um, and he had a master of possession, which with the fourth stave and the 
Mark of Slanesh. Um, I did take some stuff off the board. I did kill some of the possessed. I did kill a bunch of demonettes. I did get some really great-looking chaos bikers. Uh, he painted beautifully. His army looked awesome, top to bottom. But these bikers were especially cool-looking. They had these neat kind of uh, bone uh, and almost mummified dried skin uh, wraps kind of placed around the front end and the back end of the bike. I really liked those. Um, I did kill a bunch of stuff, but it was not just not enough to keep him off of objectives long enough uh, to prevent him from scoring and to prevent him from, you know, wiping the, the, the board with me uh, turn five. I was pleased to stick his, to stay in it for that long. It was uh, it was good to, you know, make it to turn five against an army that powerful, against a player who's that strategic. And he said right out from the gate, he said, you know, I haven't played competitively in a while. I'm going for blood. This, you know, <laughs> this is going to be nasty. And he was right. It was nasty. Those possessed really did a lot of work, and I have to be super aware of what they're capable of in the future. I, and I need to more closely read the uh, recent White Dwarf with the new Slanesh models in it, that mini codex that came out in White Dwarf. I think it was the May issue or the June issue. I have to get more intimately familiar with that because I know there are some players who play you know, closer to us that have all those new uh, Slanesh demon models. So I need to be more aware of what they're doing so I'm not as surprised when they're... Uh, when they're really uh, kicking some ass across the table. We encountered them at Liberty Hammer, too, and they were also really nasty, especially the, the contorted epitome uh, was, was really was a powerful character for a Slanesh army. So that was, my, uh, that was my round one versus Carl. Carl, thanks for the game. Had a blast. Hope to do it again sometime, and I hope to do better next time. I'm going to make it a mission to do so. Laval, why don't you tell us about your first game? No. <laughs> It went, it went that well, huh? So my, <laughs> it ended that quickly. Listen, <laughs> I went all six rounds. Um, I'm sorry, all five rounds. It was five rounds. We we played to the end, and I lost. This is what I'm going to start with. I lost twenty to twenty six, and these close games they mirror all throughout the tournament. And I learned a couple of things. So the first game that I had, um, I was on a super competitive list and let me tell you what i was facing game out the gate game one i'm looking across the table at a castellan but i'm also looking at a little bit of a mirror uh, army he's got a bunch of my custodes looking at me he had three calatus grab tanks he had two shield captains and a praetor and he also had um guard so he could churn some um what do you call it command points so he said, you know, it began before he even deployed his army. He said, first of all, I have a super army. I apologize, <laughs> which I, I said, OK, no problem. And we got to action. So a couple of things that I learned about my list since we recorded it last, I, I had made some changes. I took Trajan out and and I put Eisenhorn in and I added three acolytes to Eisenhorn. So I could get instead of an auxiliary det- attachment, he was net. Excuse me, he's now in a Vanguard detachment, so I get a point, command point. So I had things working like that. I actually had my three Telemann and a heavy support, you know, a spearhead detachment, so I could get, get command points. So I had a couple of more command points I was working with. Here is one of the things that I think really, really cost me this game. And in terms of army build, you know, you can take an Acolyte with one, that Acolyte can be one model which is great for filling out a Vanguard. But because of that, it also, and I didn't really think about this in advance, it allowed him to take the secondary mark for death. And Acolytes die real easy. 
And because of that, I had Eisenhorn so far out, and I had the um, acolytes protecting him. Mark for death, and very, very succinctly removed each acolyte, getting him three of his mark for death points. And so I really thought, hmm, in terms of ITC, maybe that wasn't a smart move, Lavelle. I also, in each game that I played, except for I think one or two, I made a critical mistake. This was an early mistake. So I had taken Eisenhorn and given him specifically for anti-psyker because he denies two powers. Um, and he had I chose the ability where he can take control of a character and cause that character to shoot at uh, the, its own army. Now, when I uh, uh, years ago, I played with Grayfax using that same ability in an APOC game, and it was really, really effective. So, however, on turn two, when I was in range to do that, I forgot. I was advancing so much, and I'm not used to playing with psychers. I actually skipped my entire psychic phase, and because of that, it would have given me the ability to actually take control of his Castellan, which he made a character, and make the Castellan shoot one of its missiles and or no, any one of its weapons. And as I was moving forward, I was moving him forward. That was my intention, but I completely forgot. So that was a critical mistake. And in my in my estimation, in terms of the math, at 20 to 26, that would have shifted the battle and I could have potentially won it. It was a very close game. Um, I want to ask you guys a question about ITC in terms of scoring. Which do you prefer, in-game or, you know, turn by turn? Because I saw my army is not being tough enough to stay in the entire game I really I think picking progressive each game was a benefit for me because I was able to in in my second third fourth and fifth games I was able to stay on objectives longer and score a bunch of primary objective points what do you think Carlo uh yeah I agree I went progressive almost every I think every game um want to say uh throughout the whole tournament and it allowed me to get like a few points on the board in some of the games where if I uh Going all the way to the end, you know, I got tabled a few games. I wouldn't have had any points at all. So um, I think with ITC, it depends on what you're going for, too. Um, you know, I think the three of us, this is really our first GP. So I'd like to play a few more tournaments before I really um, have a uh, confirmed opinion on that. But, uh, I really like the progressive. So I want to say there are two decisions when I get to the table with my army that I need to make. And um, one critical decision that I need to make is the selection of the psyker. I'm sorry, not the psyker, the assassin. In this particular game, I chose the Everser assassin, and I think it was really, really good. It allowed me to do two things. Um, after I deployed him, I was able to get into his uh, back lines and I was able to pretty much churn through all of his troops through the course of the game, um, kind of trying to deny him the ability to score. But he had a wyvern as well, and I was able to get that model and t get uh, his troop unit and tag the wyvern. And, you know, the, the, all the assassins have great staying power. But because of that, I was able to stop his wyvern from shooting long distance without line of sight, churn through those models, and in, in the end, that I kept that assassin back there tying up that. And I think I might somehow he brought something over to support but couldn't remove it. And so I actually was able to remove it, the wyvern and that for two turns. I really feel 
the the the, the crux of the game was um, simple mistakes that I made in the middle of the game that kind of made me think, oh wait, we start thinking, Lavelle, you got to stay concentrating. Lavelle, can you talk a little bit about? I should have asked this last episode, although you did change your list a little bit. How did you take? Could you talk about the um, Vanguard detachment with Eisenhorn in it and command points? How you took the um, assassin in your list too? How did that so, work out? And, and I especially, took a battalion. Into, could you talk uh, about the drops too? Like how the drops worked? So I took a battalion of, of, of Adeptus Custodes, which is the core of my army, and I was able to drop because you know. Even though you only have three custodies minimum in a unit and you got two spears and a sword and shield, they are hard to remove. And so I was able to – I dropped everything down, um, those custodian guards. I dropped them in a way that caused them to take early and hold. And so I'm churning through those uh, those uh, victory points because I'm choosing progressive. I chose – I took the Praetor. The guy with the Vexilla minus one, and I created a little castle, and that little castle was the three Telemann and one, um, the three Telemann and one um, shield captain, so they can reroll their to hit rolls, and they're you know they're naturally hitting on two plus if I don't move them, and so I did that. Now the Vanguard detachment, I took Eisenhorn and just three acolytes, three vanilla acolytes, eight points each. Uh, Eisenhorn is um, 100 points, and I chose Dominate and Terrify. I have a question about that Terrify ability I'll ask in a minute. And I, in this first game, I kept the Acolytes with Eisenhorn to absorb some of his hits because Eisenhorn has no invulnerable save. And then I kind of moved them up the battle. Um, it was my, I moved them up the battlefield with the intention of taking control of the Castellan and using that to try to eliminate one of his other heavy um, heavy uh, units, his Calatus. And so, because that volcano cannon on the Castellan is pretty powerful. If you can get through, I like, a lot of people like the, the Calatus tank. One of my issues with the tank is it only has a five up invulnerable. And across the board, all of my Custodes armies and the armies that I build, I like them all to have no lower than a four up invulnerable. So I see the four up or people who have special abilities get three ups. Because I, I think that really adds to the staying power. So that was the um, that was the um, the vanguard detachment that took it from a minus one command point to a plus one command point. And then I just drop, you know, I I, I always choose. I think I start with ten command points in this army, and I lose two right away, specifically to allow me to choose the assassin. I could put one assassin in there for minus one, but I feel like. Looking at the other guy's army and then deciding the assassin gives me a lot more flexibility, and it's worth the extra command point. So um, when I saw his, he had a lot of infantry guard, and I wanted to churn through them, I, I kind of thought, I'm not going to so much get much headway with the Vindicare, one of my favorite assassins. He had no psychic ability, so the Caluxus, even though I do like the Caluxus to churn through and, or to tie up infantry, um, let me just go ahead with the Eversor, and that's what I did. But let me tell you something else that I discovered. Surprisingly, I'm used to finishing my um, drops first. So I get the plus one. I'm always used to getting the plus one. So I didn't get the plus one because each acolyte, even though it's a single model, is a single drop. 
And so it takes Eisenhorn's uh, up the, you know, that's four drops. And that made the difference. However, I did win the initiative. I won the initiative role. And again, repeating the theme throughout the tournament. Um, so we played five games and three of those games I was seized on. That's really unusual. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. When he, when, you know, I sat at the table, I saw the Costello, and I said, great. And then when he rolled it and he seized, I said, well, it can't get any worse than this. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It did. It did, right? Um, can you talk about Eisenhorn's uh, psychic abilities that you chose? You, sh- you chose Terrify and... Dominate. So Dominate allows me to take control of a character, and then when you... T- I take control of a character. I can um, shoot with one of its weapons. Here's my question about Terrify. Terrify allows, once you hit a unit with Terrify, it gets minus one leadership, but it um, it can't fire Overwatch. The unit, so, the, the, the unit that you've cast it on. That's correct. Oh, that's cool. According to my reading, that would still work on a vehicle. As long as the rule says unit, yeah. That's what it says. I, maybe I'm wrong because it came in effect in a big way in the later game that I'll, I'll talk about. So I, I wouldn't. I I I, I am uh, spoiler alert. I am reading the Eisenhorn books, which I love. I, I wouldn't necessarily drop Eisenhorn. Um, and you, here's the other thing that I didn't do. Eisenhorn has the ability to summon a demon, and I didn't play enough in advance with that ability because one of the things that you can do is you can summon that demon within six inches. I mean, within six inches of Eisenhorn and an inch away from an enemy unit. If you can get them up up the board, you can get a charge off with the demon. And, you know, there's a good chance that the demon will survive and tie a unit up from shooting. I did not summon the demon the first game. I like that list a lot. I like everything that Eisenhorn could potentially do if you can get him within range of the stuff he's trying to trying to do it too. I love the idea of him taking over a, a character, Knight Castellan, and using one of its shooting attacks. I wish that it, I wish you'd remembered that in the first game. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been you badass. Know, you know those big ter- line of sight blocking trains that's in the middle of the board? Yeah. So what I'm able to do, or what I was able to do, is get him all the way in there. Um, and I ran him in there. He had cover. And then by turn two, he's all the way to that wall. And therefore, he can't really be seen. And then when he goes through the wall, he's on the other side on your turn three. And now I can do something. So he's kind of protected the first two games. I mean, the first two turns. You could almost uh, summon the... Uh... When when do you summon the demon? Is it the end of the movement phase? Or? No, at the beginning of the movement phase. Because okay, so that you means could, you can you can summon it and it can still move. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because you could you could summon it from the on to the other side of the wall if you want it. That is correct. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. Carlo, what about your first and, game? How did it go? Uh, it was a great game. Um, Played a guy named Brian. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this well. Uh, Jaznek, Dandazek, possibly. Um, yeah, on my list of spells. Right. 
Sorry about that. So, uh, uh, my first game I played against Tyranids, um, he was running, uh, like two battalions and a Vanguard detachment, um, with two Hive Tyrants, uh, like 40 Gene Stealers, a uh, bunch of Melanthropes, Hormigants, Termigants, uh, Neurothrope, and like eight Hive Guard. Um, Hive Guard are really dangerous for me to play against because they shoot at me with no line of sight and I'm full. My, the army that I brought was uh, entirely melee space. So I had very little shooting. The only shooting I had were bolters from the uh, and bolt rifles. So it's just basically just bolt rifles from the intercessors and then the uh, uh, infiltrator bolt guns that I uh, auto wound on. It rolls of a six. Um, that game. Did you guys talk about your secondaries at all? I yeah, I mentioned mine. I think Lavelle did as well. Yeah. What, what did you pick for secondaries yeah. against those turns? So for secondaries, I chose um, reconnaissance. Because uh, I like to move up the board, so reconnaissance is always usually reliable for me. Um, I chose old school because um, I figured that he wanted to move forward and I wanted to move forward, so I thought that there was a pretty good chance that I'd be able to kill something turn one. Um, and headhunter because he had a, at least five characters. Um, yeah, he had one, two, three, four, five characters. So. Uh, I knew that was going to be possible. Um, this was a pretty low-scoring game for me. Um, he won 16-8. So we only got through three turns. Um, I guess it was because both of us were kind of playing larger armies. The game just seemed to not progress very quickly. Um Although it was a fun game to play, so I didn't I didn't feel like it was moving slowly. It just by the time we finished and they were calling time, we we're like, oh crap, I got three turns. So uh, the uh, deployment for it was Dawn of War, as you guys know. Um, I went for progressive scoring again. Uh, the first turn, I turn uh, you can only score this turn, so I scored like um, two points. My second turn, and then I only held one objective. Scored one point there. I ended the game with like eight total points, so it was it was pretty rough. Um, not sure. How did how did you make out taking a drop pod? Uh, surprisingly, the drop pod did a lot of work. Um, the drop pod scored a lot of points for me. It was always coming down onto an objective, and it spreads out really far. Um, so I can hold an objective with the drop pod and then deploy. When I come down with the doors down, um, a unit like almost I don't know what the wingspan of the drop pod is, but it's about it seems like it's about nine inches, like eight or nine inches from tip to tip of a doors deployed. So um, you can spread your army out pretty far. Uh, I was looking forward to playing some flyers and kind of screwing up their um, movement, but uh, I didn't come across any flyers all day somehow. So. Which was good because I had no way to deal with them. So, <laughs> right. uh, the um, the game uh, like so the the first turn, I believe went to him, if I remember correctly. Um, so he got in my face pretty quickly, and I 
counter charge, and I was able to wipe out um, almost all of his gene stealers uh, within the first couple turns. Um, and I had moved my Wolfen and my uh, Smash Lord, or whatever you want to call it, far up the board and encountered and I'd drawn in a few of his characters in close combat and I had really high hopes at that point to be winning the game but uh, one of his characters had like a 3 up I want to say it was like a Carnifex or something like that and I had a 3 up in Vol and all, I swung at him with a full squad of Wolfen and the Smash Captain and I only did like 3 or 6 damage to it so and then he just like completely wiped them off the board and it's like at that point, I had no board control on that, that side of the board, and then he just um, was able to retake. Yeah. And I think uh, I had killed most of his swarm units, like a lot of the troops and stuff, but he had like six or seven characters on uh, the board by the end of the game that really, uh, if we had kept playing, I think would have tabled me. So, but we ran out of time. But all in all, it was really fun. I have to say about this tournament, like, most of my games are really fun, um, uh, especially for like an, uh, a competitive tournament. Um, not to say that you wouldn't expect that, but it's not always, you know, it doesn't always happen where your games are really fun. So it's, uh, um, I don't know. What do you, uh, you guys want to move on to turn two? Too. Let's go to let's go to round two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before before oh. we go on to turn two, I, you know, I. I did choose old school. Um, I can't remember the exact other ones, but I really like old school. But in this first game, um, it focused me on making sure that I removed a unit so that I could get that first strike. Yeah, I like old school because it's use, I'm used to it. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that it is the best choice in all situations. Right, right. Um, this next game for me on two, it was uh, those secondaries. Oh, came. hey, Go ahead. Tim, I'm sorry to interrupt no. before we keep going. Did we explain to the listeners exactly how the terrain set up so they can get an idea in their head? Because this is uh, the Nova terrain, so it's very specifically set up. Do it, yeah. Um, so on the board, if you're looking at it from top down, um, about six inches apart in the middle of the board, maybe eight. Uh, there are two L's about 12 inches by 12 inches uh, in a square um, where there's like a 12 inch high. And I believe it counts infinitely, does it? Do you know the line of the L's? I've never had a, a model tall enough to like <laughs> be no, I don't, higher I don't, than it. I don't <laughs> think there is anything. I don't think there is anything that can um, see over it. But a flyer would be able to see over it. Okay. Right. So these L's uh, create a very big line of sight blocker in the middle, and they also allow you to bring your army. They count as like a ruins, right? So you can bring your army up to it and move through it uh, as long as it's an infantry character. Um, if you have anything else, it has to go around, right? So um, on the... There's uh, three pieces of terrain in the back line on each side of the board. Um, there are there's a ruins on opposite corners. There is a forest in the middle, so that's minus two to charge. 
and then there is a um, hill that grants cover on the other opposite corner. So, um, and also all of the uh, ruins, first floors, any buildings are line of sight blocking for this tournament. Um, so, yeah, I just also to give you like, an idea of how much cover I like the is. no magic door rule. Remember that? No magic doors. If a, if a, a building oh, yeah. was completely enclosed, you could not enter it. Right. I liked how the, the the terrain was consistent across every single table. So depending on what table side you wound up with, it was they were they were symmetrical, which, which I like. So if you're picking the table side, you don't have to move around the other side of the table to get the side you want. You just pick left or right or etc. Yeah, that was convenient. Yeah, yeah, definitely convenient. <laughs> uh, especially some... there's you know there's a lot of tables in there, so it was nice to not have to do a ton of maneuvering and finagling around other players. Yeah. For GT, that was one. I think, like, I wouldn't want every tournament to be like that because I do like the strategic decision making involved in what side of the table you want in some games. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. I think that initial roll off for deployment should make a difference. Hmm. You know? But, um. Make the game ever so slightly asymmetrical and based on deployment. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I think sometimes that's nice, uh, but you know, and this I really like. I also really like the Nova style setup. Too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Tim, yeah, um, game two for me. I was against Kevin's really nicely painted Legion of the Damned looking uh, knight army. Uh, it was basically four knights and a bunch of uh, um, two armagers, two helverins, and four other you know. Big Knights. He did not have a Castellan, which was good. Um, I'll keep this one short. My secondaries, I pick Titan Slayers. I shoot, uh, which is a kill up a model with the Titan keyword. Shoot the big ones, which is destroy uh, models with over 12 wounds. And Breakthrough to get uh, uh, your, your units into your enemy's deployment zone. This was Hammer and Anvil deployment. There were uh, six objectives. Again, I picked pro- progressive scoring for my objectives. This one... Was this was a hell of a lot of fun. I got really lucky on the dice rolls. Got first turn. Did uh, Gate of Infinity of my Grandmaster in Nemesis Dread Knight armor, uh, who had the uh, the big force, the big sword, the uh, I forget what it's called, but he had the badass sword. So my two and my other uh, Dread Knight had the two uh, fists. So they had a lot of high damage close combat attacks. So very quickly, I was able to get them. Through moving, advancing, and uh, you know, doing Gate of Infinity, I was able to get uh, the Grandmaster with the sword in close combat with one of his knights and involve one of his Helverins through piling into him. Turn one, which was awesome. So turn two, I got really lucky. Got the other uh, Dread Knight in there and took out one of the big knights and one of the Helverins in close combat or in. I forget whether it was close combat or shooting, but they were early turn two for me. It might have just been with a smite, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I forget. Regardless, the, the my point is the Dread Knights did a lot of work for me this game. In close combat, they have really high damage close combat attacks, so they came up huge and were able to get me a Titan Slayer and uh, Big Ones turn uh, two, which was really, really great and counted big time for... Uh, 
towards winning this game, which was my only win of the day, which uh, which was fun. Uh, Kevin was a great opponent. Um, he knew his army really well. The, the, the pace back and forth was really nice. Uh, we made it through all six turns. Uh, we did not table one another, and uh, you know it was a great vibe. Um, in this game, because of Hammer and Anvil deployment, I was able to put units on the three objectives on my table half and really just kind of camp them out there. I had a Land Raider with Castellan Crow and an Apothecary and a bunch of Strike Squad Space Marines just sitting on a center, kind of a central objective on my table half. Through the first three turns, I didn't have to move them very much because his knights were still making their way forward and dealing with my paladins and dealing with my dread knights. So while it felt kind of silly to leave so many points just sitting on an objective and holding it, I was really, in this tournament, I was really trying to play towards victory points, really trying to play smart about what's going to score me points next turn. And I, I, I did a good job of that in this game by not just being aggressive for the sake of being aggressive and by thinking more about what I can leave and what I can move forward to handle threats coming in and just get as many uh, primary objective points as I can. Because I had a good feeling about those Dread Knights because they were able to get up so quickly in close combat with those Knights. I had a good feeling about them you know, being able to get Titan Slayer and shoot the big ones and uh, break through, which they did turns uh, one through three. They did really good work up there in the front. This game also exposed to me a weakness in this army list, which was I don't have a lot of high damage shooting attacks. I basically have just a ton of bolter shots. The Psy Cannon is nice. It's a heavy six, strength seven, uh, minus one AP, two damage. The Incinerator is nice. It's a two damage flamer, basically. But the range on those is small, and there's no... You know, I, I don't have a D6 shooting attack, so I think what I'm going to do is, if I do continue to play the Grey Knights, which I think I will, they are kind of fun, and it's nice to have a serious psychic phase to get through. My other armies don't have very intense psychic phases. Um, I think I will get another Land Raider and just do last cannons on the Land Raider. So that'll create two big moving targets for my enemy to kind of fixate on, which I think is, is good to give them two things to have to choose between to focus their heavy damage shooting on before I can deploy my really attack-heavy strike squads from them. And maybe in those first couple of turns before it gets blown up, it would give me some D6 last cannon, uh, D6 damage last cannons to, uh, to shoot, which would have come in really handy in this game because I could have had some range uh, on the knights that were coming up the other side of the board from where my Grandmaster and Nemesis Dreadnought Armor and my other Dread Knight were dealing a lot of good close combat damage too. So I think going forward I would find a way, maybe take uh, fewer of the elite characters. I did take too many elites and, and too many characters for this uh, to this tournament because picking Headhunter was kind of what all of my opponents did and they were able to, to do some work. You know, my characters are they have a lot of wounds, but you know, they do they do go down eventually. Uh, so I think taking another Land Raider in lieu of as many elites would have been a smart choice, just to give me some some higher intensity shooting attacks. But in this particular game, I won because I was rolling well, and the the high damage close combat attacks of those dread knights really came up big. Um, so that was a, that was a super fun game. Uh, thanks, Kevin, for that one. Your army looks awesome, and I uh, hope we can play together again. That was great. Lavelle, your game two. My game two um, start at, began with the end. I lost this game twenty two to thirteen. And I have to tell you, I should have lost this game. I played a guy named Christopher Goslin, and let me not say I should have lost the game. He should have won the game. He played a great game. So um, I had 13 to 22. By my estimation, I really should have come away with another 20 points on this game. 
but I really dropped the ball in a couple of ways. Hammer and Anvil deployment was really, really difficult for me because of the terrain. He could block so much of my line of sight. And so my little uh, and, you know, somebody once said to me, hey, that unit, that that little castle you got there, they're just deleting units. My three telemans with the shield captain and the um, Vexilla, it, I couldn't get as effective shots on that. He had to actually come out for me to get a shot. And ultimately, he kept trying to because he chose those units to remove. And that gave me some points. My secondaries were terrible. So he game. He played again. At, I start this game. I look across the table. And what do I see? Another Castellan. Yay. So <laughs> that was a problem. And he played a whole bunch of a. Um, he had a, kind of an ad mech army, but he had, uh, a, I guess it is a, um, let me think. It's um, another battalion of, um, so he had a lot of command points, of uh, Blood Angels. So he had a Smash Captain, the Librarian with the, the Dreadnought Librarian, um, and Mephiston. And I did eliminate Mephiston, I think, term one. Um, I did. I should have. I knew the the Blood Angels had to go, but I didn't focus enough on them. Had I have chosen Headhunter, I could have, because I eliminated the the Dreadnought, the Mephiston, and the Smash Captain. Let me tell you what I like. I always make my Shield Captain run out there, and that is my Warlord. And I chose, uh, contrary to what people, not Superior Creation, the Five Up Feel No Pain. I chose the Radiant Mantle, the minus one to hit. And I really, really like that combination because, you know, I have my he's a character and I have him in the front. And so people are shooting at him. Someone had recommended that, you know, uh, there are enough to, things to protect characters. But since I have him out in the front, I like Radiant Mantle and it worked very well for me. I got my assassin again. I chose the Eversur because he had a lot of troops in his back line. I wanted to turn through them. He was very, very focused and he shot him up. Let me say this. Nothing in his army, nothing in his army other than the Blood Angels came past the halfway mark. So at one point, he's just backing everything up as I'm trying to move forward. And he's backing everything up. And it was very, very well played tactically. So uh, I felt like, um, you know, I chose I just did not concentrate enough. Eisenhorn. And the unit was totally ineffectual in this game, and it was all because of deployment. I couldn't get those guys up there. I do want to say this. He had a great I – mean, both the armies I played was great so now. But he had the, the Scorpius, you know, that, that new – Yeah, the new tank. tank. Yeah. How, did yeah the, how, how, how did it do for him? You know, he took an energy cannon and Cognus Heavy Stubbers. It, I must say it did well. So I had to focus to, to destroy them, and they, they could take a lot of damage. But one of the things about him was he was not prepared for the strength of the Telemann. So once I had severely wounded him, he kind of backed up, and he just took pot shots. But I really liked the model, and I really liked the um, the army. His his Skatari, I wish I could have deleted more of those guys, but I just could not get back there. I could not get back there. So – he, he took me – I mean he took a very patient and methodical game. He also took – his Forge World was Stitches at 8, and I think their, what their ability allows, every time you kill a model, you roll a D6 on a 6, it doesn't go away. I thought, wow, that's pretty darn handy. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, so 
I feel like I lost this game. Um, let me let me restate that. I feel like he won this game, but I could have done better. I don't think I could have won this game because of his his, uh, his um, Chris played a really strategic game, and he was very very methodical about hiding his units from my real firepower, which was really really good. Well said, well said. Yeah, Carlo, your game too. Uh, so my game two, um, I played against a guy named Mike Anderson, a really nice guy, good opponent. Uh, he was playing Slanesh uh, with a Mortarian. Um, he, uh, so this game I actually did pick endgame scoring. Um, it did. I think I scored. I scored zero primaries this game, uh, and I feel like if I had taken um, progressive scoring here, which I had done all my other four games, I would have scored a bit better. Um, I actually scored one primary because I scored the bonus objective. Because um, I controlled the objective that my opponent placed at the start of uh, my turn uh, later on in the game. So uh, I, I don't know if we mentioned that about the missions. They had bonus objectives. You could score one point from uh, once once during the game. So um your max primary limit was 12 points. Max secondary I think, was 12, and then you got three uh, points from uh, points destroyed. Right. So um, I had uh, this game. I had lost 26 to 11. Um, I scored uh, eight secondaries, two points destroyed, and then one primary. Uh, we started hammer and anvil deployment like everybody else. Um, I think I tucked my objective into an L, and then he kind of kept his in his back line, like closer to his deployment zone. Um, the way that I scored that one was by dropping the drop pod onto it. Um, I had also he had uh, two squads of havocs with the chain guns that really tore through my army. Um, so I had to put a couple things into outflank reserve and try to deal with those, uh, which I had eventually had. I had killed them by, I think, turn three. Uh, the game had gone up four turns. Um, uh, this m- mission, I picked uh, reconnaissance uh, breakthrough and then headhunter because uh, I knew I was going to have to be putting some stuff in my opponent's back line. So I, I picked a couple where I'd knew I wanted to move across the board. Then Headhunter, because he had, a, I think he had about six characters. He had brought Mortarian, and I don't have a list in front of me. He hadn't uploaded it onto uh, BCP, but he had brought Mortarian. He brought a Demon Prince. Uh, he had brought um, the Mirror. I forget what the name of the character is, but it was uh, two up in Vol against Mortal Wounds. Um, he had another character that uh, made all of his Slanish units within three or six inches, minus one to hit. So I had a few characters that I really had to deal with early on. Um, eventually what happened was we moved, both of us moved towards the center because we were very uh, close combat um, heavy armies, and there's just like a giant brawl in the center of the battlefield. Uh, I had kept my Primaris units in the back to stay on the objectives so they could jump on them at the end of the game, but he had shot them uh, I think he'd basically kill all of them by the end of the game, and I had a few units up towards the middle of the board and some left in his deployment zone, and unfortunately I wasn't able to hold any objectives. So 
Um, he played that game very well. Um, we were kind of helping each other out at the beginning of the game uh, with each other's lists. I had warned him about uh, the armor rust and stuff like that, and he had warned me about a few things that he he was doing. So I think we went into that game very uh, sportsmanlike, and I think it was, it was a great great game to play. Uh, Mike, if you're listening, it was fun. Um, uh, kicked my butt, so I think, like I said, he beat me uh, 26 to 11. Um but uh, I think in that game, what I would have done differently is um, maybe definitely the progressive scoring instead of the end game. And then I wish I had put a unit of, in all five of my games, I had never put a unit of Wolf in an outflank reserve. Um, and in that game, I almost wish I had, uh, because the one you a wolf and I kind of when I moved up the board I, I put them on the flank and I just left them wide open to be shot you know so I wish I had kind of saved them back and then use them as an element of surprise rather than just a, a shooting target right how did you try to respond to Mortarian in that game what did you put uh, would you put up against him uh, I mean I just tried to get to him he kept he kept him back most of the game so Mortarian Arian actually really didn't come into play until later in the game, and that's the unit he was using to remove all of my stuff off of his backfield objectives. Um, he was very close to my... Uh, I had my smash captain with the armor of Russ, um, and I was trying to get him up to Mortarian, because once if I attack first, Mortarian's dead. You know, if I can get him and the Wolfen in there. But... Um, uh, Unfortunately for me, it was very strategic in how he moved Mortarian around. He used him more of like a, as a supporting character and let the rest of his army kind of deal with my uh, my uh, onslaught of Marines and uh, mostly used Mortarian for like psychic right. support. Right. So I think he was using it to warp time his other uh, team imprints and get him across the battlefield to deal with. Some Marines I had in, in cover holding an objective back there, so. How did Null do in that game? Uh, Null did fantastic every game. I mean, he gave me a lot of uh, psychic support. He usually lived throughout the whole length of the game, um, for the most part. Uh, in that game, I think, uh, I want to say that he may have suffered a bunch of more, like, I think he suffered two perils that game. So uh, he had done four, four or five wounds to himself and then eventually died to a smite or something like that. So right. but he had, uh, he had cast uh, Tempest Wrath is such a good power for Space Wolves because if I can give a big blob of um, demonettes or a big blob of uh, uh, gene stealers in the first game or some characters even minus one to hit, it really helps protect my uh, swarm of marine like in that in that list I was playing like 15 blood claws 13 blood claws you know and I, it, it can protect that chaff that I have up front so that the the rest of my army can catch up yeah so um, which it did I mean there was a huge slug fest in, in the center of the board I'd killed almost all of his units but uh, I just couldn't recover from the chain gun 
uh, havoc. So it really decimated a lot of my record holders um, in the meantime. So. Tim, yes. On a side note, yeah. you know, not for not for the podcast. I think it might be good for us to plan maybe in the next month or so a tactical tactical upload section where we just talk about ITC secondaries, and let's see if we can get Sam to come on and discuss it with us. It's a great idea. Yeah, I'm sure you'd be down for that. Yeah, cool. We'll do that. Round three for me, the mission was, mission was called Crusade. This is a Vanguard strike deployment, so it's that sort of annoying to set up two diagonal slices through the table deployment. I was playing against Matt. Uh, Matt had a really interesting guard, Skatarii Graia, and Knight Army. It was really interesting. He had um, several units of guardsmen, some Skatarii uh, rangers with those 30-inch uh, grav rifles, and uh, a knight Castellan, which he kept in the backfield, which was his warlord. Now that I'm thinking of it, he might have just had the one knight. I'm trying to think. Yes, I think it was just the one knight, which was good. Yeah, one knight. Um, so... I had picked Titan Slayer, I had picked <clears throat> Call the Hordes, and Marked for Death. I had chosen his Guardsmen and his Skatarii guys for Marked for Death, and uh, Call the Hordes just to get 25 models off the board and score a point for that, and Titan Slayer because I really wanted to go after the Big Knight, because uh, he was going to do some damage if I didn't. Unfortunately, I never got that far. So at the beginning of this game, I thought I, had, I, thought I had a really good plan. Uh, the deployment map, being that long triangle shape, was set up in such a way that I could get really close to a number of objectives and really threaten his guardsmen units right in the first turn if I could if I could get the initiative, which I did. So through a combination of of moving and the gate of infinity, I was able to get a strike squad within you know attacking distance of a ten man guardsman unit, and I was able to maneuver my land raider in such a way where it had uh, a clear line of sight to a unit of guardsmen that were in cover in the ruins at the center of his uh, deployment edge, his long deployment edge. Dis and dis but unfortunately, despite the fact that I had put the warlord trait uh, first to the fray on my Brotherhood champion and had him with the unit of strike marines that I needed to have charging in to that unit of guardsmen, uh, despite the fact that I was rerolling charges, I failed pretty much every single charge in this game. No number of rerolls, no number of first to the fray was going to get me into close combat with his army in the first couple of turns. I was amazed. Um, I had a great plan. I had, you know, I thought turn two would be great. I could score two secondary points turn two for killing a bunch of guys, maybe get for um, uh, call the hordes as well in turn two. And everything was going good, you know, turn one, maneuvered everything well, but I just started failing charges, failing charges, failing charges. His Overwatch wound up doing really well, too. Those guardsmen, I think, took out three or four <laughs> strike marines in, in, turn, in uh, turn two, which was a bummer on Overwatch. Um, my land raider was able to, to clean up a 10-man um, a, a guard unit turn two with all of its uh, assault cannon and the uh, hurricane bolters and the storm bolters, which was nice. Uh, but I, w I got ne never at any point during the game did I get anywhere close to his Castellan, which just did so much work that he was rolling really well with um, 
he had the uh, the what is it called the house trait uh, where he could reroll all ones, which was really beneficial to him. Uh, he was uh, using specific weapons really uh, intelligently on the the threats that were coming his way. Uh, so I got nowhere near his Castellan, which he was able to basically not move and just leave in the back corner the entire game and just start picking stuff off. The range and the not needing line of sight for some things, and just the, he had one of the relic uh, weapons on it, which was even more damaging than, the, you know, of course, the non-relic one. It, he, his Castellan did so much work over the course of this game. The thing that surprised me the most about this game, he had chosen, I think it's Graia, where they can deny psychic powers on four-ups with their stratagem. I believe it was a stratagem he was using for one command point, if I recall correctly. Um, I had never fought against an opponent who had chosen that Forge World uh, as their, um, you know, as their uh, Forge World, uh, and he used it to great effect. He was able to deny a number of my psychic attacks, which, of course, my Grey Knight's completely relying on for success, and uh, he was able to put a hurting on uh, with the Big Knight. My um, my elites basically did nothing. I was leaving them in the backfield to just hold objectives the entire game, um, and they, they they stuck around a few turns. I did score eight primary points again with progressive uh, uh, scoring, but just could not make a dent in his army and was tabled turn five. It looks like based on my score sheet, uh, he played it he played it smart. He said he was new to the game, but he played a, he had a really good list and, and played it really intelligently. And was uh, was super fun. Uh, we had a good, uh, it was a good energy throughout the game, a good back and forth. Um, it was it was a really cool game against a Forge World that I had not encountered before, and it taught me that I can't rely on that uh, Warlord trait first of the fray to get my guys into combat. I have to get closer, and I have to get, uh, you know, I just had to be have to get some new dice maybe too, which would have helped. But uh, I just wasn't wasn't rolling well. I was rolling, you know. Like three-inch charges, four-inch charges, basically the whole game, and just just couldn't make it connect against Matthew's uh, guard, admech, and uh, knight army. It just wasn't working for me. There was a ton of background noise back there. I'll try to scrub that out in post-production. There was a huge truck that just went by. Um, yeah, that was my game three versus Matthew. Thank you for that, Matthew. I got to uh, I got to mix it up with that Castellan again soon. Lavelle, you're three. Okay, my three. I'm looking in, 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 in the app right now, and it says this game I lost 20 to 23. I don't think that's correct. I'm pretty sure I lost this game by one point. I think the, the score was 20. If it, it was probably 20 to 21, um, but it was definitely I lost the game by one point. I played um, uh, James Dunwoody the, of the Dunwoody Brothers from Basement Wargamers. I played them, uh, played them a couple of times. James is a great player. James has a, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Imperial Guard army. Um, he had, you know, a Guard army, a Vigilist tank detachment, um, and he had a Bane Blade. Um, was it a Bane? Yeah, it was a Bane Blade. It was a Bane Blade. And so I was very strategic. I was very uh, detailed about the way I lined everything up. It was very effective. I, again, this is the third game. I chose the Eversur Assassin. I got him in the back line and started churning through his uh, uh, his troops. It was pretty good. I do want to say I do feel that I made a very critical mistake, two critical mistakes in this game. And they're very 
basic critical mistakes that I made that cost me this game that would have shifted it. So the first mistake I made is I forgot the Bane Blade can shoot even in close combat. <laughs> That's pretty basic. Wow. And so I got a, yeah, I got that, that, that demon out and the demon. Okay. I got the demon out uh, and I had a guard unit of three in close proximity and I got terrified off on the Bane Blade. So it couldn't shoot Overwatch. And both the demon and the three-man custodian guard unit got into um, close combat with it. And it really, really did some work. Um, you know, we, we I, I, I did remove the Bane Blade. Um, it wasn't that turn. It was the next turn because he backed up and he shot again. He shot again. He was, he was very much um, down a tier. And the other thing is I was successful in getting Eisenhorn in position. So I had done a lot of damage with my little castle of Telemons, one of his tank. And I used his tank commander because he had three tank commanders. His tank commander to shoot and eliminate one of the other tank commanders. I got the Eversor in range and he did a lot of churning of his troops. So that was a good game. Here was the critical mistake that I made. I put a unit of, Imper- of custodian guards in deep strike. And forgot about him. Oh. Yeah. Yes. That made a, a huge difference in the game. Huge difference. Um, in the end, he ran over um, um, with full throttle and took an objective that he had removed him. But had I have kept my thing, um, had I have kept that, got that unit out, I would have retained that. And that would have shifted the game 100%. So that was the first thing. I, it was a good game. I felt. This third game, I was really, really, except for those two mistakes, which admittedly were critical, I was really tactical and I was really thinking things through. But I want to pause and talk about the event. This is a two-day event. And this game is the third game on the Saturday. But because the way the, I felt like the event was very tightly run, it was really good. You get out of that event and it's not late at night. And um, I really, really liked that about that. So I had time that evening to go home, rethink, re-review my list. And I liked that it wasn't – it wasn't because um, theoretically I, I, some, some places will try to jam four events into that one day. I really liked that about the event. But I lost this game to, to James and his guard army, and I feel like this game I really lost because I should have won the game. But those two critical mistakes cost me. You bring up a great point about how the event being run well did get us out of there at a reasonable hour on Saturday. And the fact that the gaps were significant between the games, like the lunch break and the dinner break, were just enough. So I didn't end the day feeling like like really tired or exhausted or burnt out or anything like that, which was a really nice feeling. I was able to drive home, have a reasonable, you know, reasonable amount of time before crashing for the night and... Uh, Wake up the next morning feeling fresh and ready to go. It was not a it was not a physical challenge to a complete day two, which is a great point. It's fairly surprising at how early they got us out of there. Like that almost never happens in a, a tournament like that. Usually out at like ten PM you're getting home. Yep. Exhausted. Exactly. You uh get there the next day, still tired. Exactly. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a nice treat to be able to get home at a reasonable hour. Yeah. So I, I want to say at this point, I'm leaving the tournament, mid-tournament. I'm going home. I am zero for three. 
but I feel like, you know what? You should be better. I had a lot of battle points, a lot of battle points. I said, you should be better. You know, at least two of those games, you should have won. You should be 2-1, and you have nobody to blame but yourself. So I went home and 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 flagellated myself like the article flagellators to teach me a lesson. Get on your game. <laughs> yeah. Carla, what about you? Yeah, what's your three like, Carla? Uh, so my three was uh, an insanely fun game. Um, the opponent I was supposed to play left early for the day and ended up playing the ringer, Jason Culp, who's hilarious. Uh, awesome dude. So <laughs> we basically just uh, screwed around. I ended up winning like 24 to, I don't know, 15 or something like that. Uh, I'll tell you the exact score. It was, uh, it was uh, 23 to 14. Yeah. So um, he had played Great Knights. Um, I was, the opponent I was supposed to play was Dark Angels. I was excited about it, but uh, playing Jason, he, he played Great Knights, which was really fun to play against. Uh, you don't get to play against them often. Um, so it's good to see them on the board. Uh, he had a, a land raider as well, uh, which he had put a bunch of um, paladins in. With who's the character that uh, uh, that comes in and out of the warp all the time? Oh, um, not crow, but um... I'll think of it. You know what I'm talking about. The guy, yeah, yep. he's like their, almost like their chapter master. I want to say, kind of, even though they don't have one. Uh, not, 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 not Drago. Um, uh, what's Drago? Yeah. Was Drago? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Drago. Yeah, he brought he brought Drago, and then he brought um, um, an apoth- apothecary or not apothecary. Uh, um, what's the uh, the HQ starts in the A for them. An ancient the, uh, brotherhood, ancient. No, the the magical one. Yeah, uh, it, it might be apothecary. I'm not sure. The apothecary is uh, only pretty common points. choice. Yeah. So, um, did he bring a brother, Captain Stern, too? Uh, I'm not sure. He he brought he brought a, a dreadnought that he had hiding under the first floor of a ruins and was shooting with. Uh, they have a no line of spite, uh, sight spell. Yes. To shoot. Astral aim. That was, yes. Yep, that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I had never seen that um, strategy before, so it was fun to see that. Um, uh, I feel like this game. So this game didn't feel so it didn't feel as serious as some of the other games. So I think like Jason, um, you know, I'm sure like Jason was was playing a competitive game with me, but we weren't crazy like sticklers about it either. Like you know how some games can get. So um, I feel like uh, you know maybe if if we had really been uh, very competitive in this in this specific game, it could have turned out differently. But I think we were both going into it having a lot of fun in the bottom bracket kind of a thing. So um, uh, he, he started the game off by uh, Gata of Infinitying his Land Raider into my back line. So I had gone first. So I had to turn around and bring all my Wolf and like half of my wolfen back to meet it because I was running two squads. That's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, that was like really awesome. That's great. <laughs> so, That's great. Um, um, in this game, uh, I had taken four secondaries because uh, this was Vanguard Strike, right? So just to give an idea of what our deployment was like, 
I had taken Strike the Rank and File. He had a bunch of uh, Strike Squads. I Did we lose you, Carlo? I think we lost you. Novella, you still there? I'm still here, Tim. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Yep. We just lost Carlo. Carlo's oh, lost in a war. My, uh, um, so Pick it up from uh, Strike the Rank I, and File. Yeah. So I picked Strike the Rank and File, Old School, and um, Headhunter, because uh, he had a bunch of characters. Um, and I, I scored almost all my secondaries. Uh, I ended up the game with 24 points. So, you know, it's pretty close. Um, the thing that, um, I think won me the game was just having a very good, very good luck with that game. I made a lot of my charges, which, um, some of the other games I had failed a bunch of crucial charges that really hurt me. Um, and, uh, in this game, he, Neither of us tabled each other, so I had basically moved the majority of my army to the majority to his, um, and before my Wolfen had killed um, a few of his uh, characters that had Gate of Infinity in the back of the table, so he couldn't get any of that stuff back the rest of his army. So that was um, fortuitous for me to not have to deal with the rest of that stuff the rest of the game almost. So um, I really just dealt with whatever was in his deployment zone and then got on objectives and kind of scored that way. So um, Other than that, I mean, that was a really fun game. Again, I really enjoyed playing against Jason. Uh, he has signed up to do battle reports with us, I think, on our list. So I'm going to try and get one with him back. So that was very exciting, very exciting game. Awesome, that's cool. So, how did you feel after having three rounds in the day, and you were one and two at this point, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, pretty good. Um, you know, I thought I would be doing much better. Um, I realized at this point that my list that I had made was not ideal. Um, I. Should I had very little shooting and it with left me with the um, it forced me to move up very quickly and I don't think I played enough practice games with my army to put myself in a success. I didn't set myself up for success, uh, so I. I would really like to, if I could do that tournament over, I probably would have put Bjorn in just to have a couple Laz cannons um, to back myself up with. And I probably would have, uh, maybe at some point I would like to put in like a third squad of Wolf. Crazy. Right. <laughs> right. Let's, let's keep rolling then. Let's talk about round four, which was Sunday morning. Uh, this was, we started these games right around 9 o'clock. Unfortunately, my opponent was a no-show, so I forget how it worked out, but I was, I think there was another no-show as well, so I wound up being paired with uh, Jeff Candler, who had a Thousand Sons and Demons Army, Zinch Demons Army. 
Uh, we had a good game. I had picked progressive scoring again. This was search and destroy deployment, which is the two um, opposing uh, kind of rectangle shapes diagonal from one another with a 12-inch no man's land in the center. Uh, I had picked Cull the Hordes because he had uh, a bunch of Zangors and a bunch of Rubik Marines. I thought I'd be able to take off the table. I had picked Marked for Death and... Uh, Picked those uh, units as well for Marked for Death. And uh, Engineers, which is where you leave a model on an objective as if they're working on it, like it's a comm center or something, for a turn without them shooting or doing anything, and you score points for that. Uh, his his army was not going to be moving very quickly, so I thought Engineers would be good because I could bring in, uh, just kind of plant some things in my uh, rectangular corner of the board and start scoring some points, uh, which wound up working out well. I did lose this game 24 to 15, but I was able to score um, uh, a number of primary points just by virtue of leaving uh, those engineers on there, as well as scoring engineers points for them. I did uh, take out a, a bunch of, I had a couple of cool moments. Uh, one cool moment was a uh, Castellan Crow, who has a base five attacks. Uh, plus one for the Brotherhood Ancient near being nearby, and for every successful attack he makes, he gets another attack. So at one point he did put ten attacks into a squad with four or five Rubric Marines remaining and did wipe them off the board in one round of close combat, which was awesome, which is exactly what you'd want a uh, um, you know a character like Castellan Crow to do. So that was pretty great. And he was standing in close combat with my uh, Grandmaster and Nemesis Dreadknight armor who had the sword, so they both took out two slash a bunch of a third squad of Rubik Marines in turn four, which was awesome. So I got two marked for death points in turn four uh, for taking out uh, two and uh, the remaining marked for death point in in, uh, in turn five there for taking out uh, the, the last Rubik Marine squad. So that was really the only like super dope moment in the game was Castellan Crow like just coming in there and doing a ton of work at strength four. Um, this is the first time I had taken a number of these models, including Castellan Crow. So seeing, knowing now that Castellan Crow, uh, coupled with that Brotherhood Ancients banner, uh, giving him the plus one attacks and plus one leadership, and putting him into a toughness four or a toughness three combat situation with his strength four, potentially 12 close combat attacks is really cool and exactly what that model is supposed to do. It would be nice if his sword was, you know, had some AP or did a little bit more damage on on a tougher model, but or on a multi wound model rather. But seeing him do exactly what he was supposed to do was like a highlight of that game. Um, if the game was over turn five, I was tabled right at the end of that turn. Um, my last unit standing was a librarian uh, in Terminator armor who was standing back on an objective in the corner, and he just could not fend off all of the shooting coming from uh, he had some rubric terminators uh, they're not called rubric terminators are they he had the you know the special thousand suns terminators coming around the bend with uh, they had a cannon and they had a, a, a you know number of, of strange special weapons and heavy weapons so they were able to wipe them off uh, turn five uh, so 24 to 15 that was my morning game on Sunday versus thousand suns and slanesh demons he had brought that big um, uh, Slanesh demon thing. I think it was kind of a kit bash thing he had made. But as it loses wounds, its close combat kind of aura attacks get bigger, and then if it dies, it explodes. And the explosion apparently is really dangerous. So I didn't mess with that at all. I just kind of let that thing walk around the table and and do what it did because its explode attacks. I think it was D6 mortal wounds within 
12 inches or something, or it had like a huge explode thing, so I, I didn't really want to mess with that, so I let that thing go, and just really tried to focus on those units for Mark for Death and my engineer's secondary, and staying on some objectives for primaries, but it just, it just I just couldn't get it together to uh, to stay on the board long enough to make a, to, to, to get a win out of it, so that was my game uh, versus Jeff. Lavelle, Tim, you-, you should be, Tim, you should be ashamed of yourself. Suffer not the demon to live. I tried. I really did try. <laughs> I really did try. I was taking advantage of those demon hunter rerolls, but it just was not just was not clicking. Yeah. Yeah. How, so an interesting thing yeah. about round four, um, we were at pay- tables 26, 27, and 28. That's right. We were playing right next to each other that whole morning. Right. Yeah. But Tim would not help me by deep striking any of his models on my table. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll remember that. All right, for next time. So I had, I had gone home, and I got up the next morning, and I decided I'm either going to come home with my shield or on it. I was going to make up for everything that happened. I started this game, and I won this game 25 to 12. And Very nice. Congratulations. It was against that tile player that had that huge shooting army. I think um, you might have played him later on, Carlo. Remember the tile player? He had all of those prices battles. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I forget his name on the – no, when I look at his list. You you know, it's Stephen Duggan. Stephen was his name. Oh, yes, Steve. Yeah. And, you know, at 25 battle points, I have to say, I just did everything I needed to do. I was very, very focused on this game. I ate a good breakfast. I had my Wheaties, and I didn't forget anything. Very I, nice. How did Eisenhorn do in this one? Eisenhorn did very, very well because um, I had whittled the unit down, and then on the next turn, I was able to use Eisenhorn to eliminate that unit in the psychic phase. So then in the next shooting phase, all of my shooting could go to the next unit to try and eliminate that. So that's a, that's a pretty powerful thing, especially when the model you choose to make shoot has a, a high uh, a high um, not high velocity a high output uh, shooting attack. You follow that? Yeah, yeah. So how, how did yeah. it, how did it play out? Like, what did you do with it? Um, I he had a uh, he, well, here it was he had not a lot of models left in the unit in the previous one. I, I did do something that was a little bit different. My little castle, I moved it up methodically. When the Telemann doesn't move, its missile pack that's on its on its back, its missile pack can shoot twice. So I like to keep him still, but his deployment didn't allow that. So I sacrificed that, and I kept moving the entire piece up. Now, to his credit, he was really, really, really focusing fire, and he was trying to eliminate one Telemann unit at a time. But the problem is the Telemans with that four-up envone, and they have a toughness eight. They can be hard to eliminate. He was doing an excellent job. I mean, it was a methodical job with his marker lights. But I stayed the course, and I moved my my group up. I had put that model in deep strike, um, the three guys in deep strike. But this time, I made sure that I used all of my tools so I would know and remind myself that it was there. I got that model, uh, the, the three-man unit of uh, custodian guards out of deep strike. After he had put a huge amount of resources to remove one unit, I put the models in deep strike, and I put them back on. And I'm, hand, I'm sitting on the objective, and I'm firing in his face. It was really, really good. So I felt like in this game, you know, um, he had a great army. He had a 
preach strategy. He was just like, I'm castling up and I'm shooting everything on the board and then I'll come out. But I was able to stick to my game, uh, formulate a game plan, stick to my game plan and move it forward. I chose as a uh, secondary call the hordes. He had a couple. He had, you know, he, yeah, he had uh, like six or eight uh, fire warrior teams and man, I think right? it was a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah. he had that. Well, here's the thing. He had one, two, three. He had four strike teams. But this is the thing. When that strike team takes a um, what's it called? Uh, uh, A drone, that drone unit becomes a troop unit. You got it. So if I'm eliminating troop units, each one of those were were allowing me to max out that 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 secondary. That was smart. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. So it was it was really really good. I was really really concerned until I got into true strike range with my elements. Once they're within 24 inches of you, I don't really need to move them at all anymore. Right. Right. And right. I just kind of hammer you away with multiple. I'm shooting a lot of shots now. I'm rolling, hitting on twos. Hitting on twos, re-rolling ones. It was a thing. This was a recurring thing. And I real, really feel for my opponents. Here I am with this captain on a Dawn Eagle jet bike telling you he's my warlord. And I'm out there. And you're, you're blasting him. You're like, I'm going to get that warlord. And then you kill him. You go, okay, that'll be Slay the Warlord. Uh, actually, hold on a second. I'll be using one command point to shoulder the mantle. And this guy back here is, is, is now the warlord. What? <laughs> That's yeah, that's super, say. super sneaky. Super sneaky. What, what kind <laughs> of janky crap is that? Yep, yep. That's funny. Because he's out front. He's drawing, you know, he's got a three up invulnerable save, two up normal save, seven wounds. Oh, it might be six wounds. And he, um, toughness six, minus one to hit. He he is drawing a lot of fire. So that was a good game. That, that, that game right here, just for our anxious readers. That is the highlight of my tournament. Congratulations. That's nice. That's a good feeling when you pull off a game plan that you just, you know, you, you focus and pull off a game plan. It's good. Really good. Congratulations. Thank yeah. you, sir. Carl, about, what, about, what about you? You were standing right next to us in that lineup of uh, Crew Shaken t-shirts. Oh, yeah. It was a Crew Shaken bro, wasn't it? Um, is my mic on? <laughs> That's better. Okay. Yeah. That's better. Okay. There we go. All right. Um, so this game, I'd like to give our... Listeners, the the illusion that we're always having a great time, but this game, <laughs> this game, I almost don't want to talk about. <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty rough for me. Uh, I'd I'd felt the salt coming on. Um, I'd played against a, uh, a great Steve, or no, not Steve. I'm sorry. Yeah, another Steve. Sorry, I played two Steves in a row. So, uh, um, he played a. Uh, guard is like 80 guardsmen, four Lehman Russes with Pask, um, a Night Crusader, two Helverins, um, I think that, and uh, a couple HQs in there. Um, and I just could not get in to charge this army at all. Uh, I tried getting close to it. I got overwatched at death, shot to death. Uh, I had been killed 500 points by the end of the game. Uh, I think Ouch. I scored five points total. Yeah, so not Damn. much to talk about this game other Damn. than I got super wrecked. Uh, <laughs> That's too bad. It was pretty rough. Was it? Yeah. Do you think you um, made some? Was it mistakes during deployment that kind of cost you, or what, what? What would you attribute your fact? The fact you couldn't get in there. Yeah, I think so. I think what I probably so this was uh, search and destroy. So we had to start 
in the corners, which didn't help me because it gave him the ability to castle up pretty easily. Yeah. Um, I probably should have put almost half of my army in outflank reserve. Like, I should have just blown all my command points and just put them in reserve because um, I just did not, even with all of the line of sight blocking terrain, um, as soon as I got out in the open and I didn't make a charge, I just got shot to death. Um, so, um, I was talking to Alex about it. I do need to just get better. I need to play more games. It just was honestly probably just a lack of strategy involved and I need to uh, um, kind of charge in with that big blob and wrap first and then get everything else in. Um, and I think like bringing like my wolfing up with the blood claws was a bad idea. I need to like put the put the chaff up first, get them in, tie some enemy units up, and then bring the rest of everything else in. I, I didn't do that, so uh, I just ribbon <laughs> yeah 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 i did score some points on um do we lose you again yeah i was gonna ask that i think we lost you again carlo i think your mic is on the fritz on the fritz fritz I'm right here. I was saying I lost points, and Lavelle's the greatest player I've ever seen. <laughs> I just just to be near him and watch him play is really up my game. I really recommend people do that. Well, I thank you, Carla. Well said, Carla. <laughs> well said. All right, cool. Uh, did you guys lose me again? Yeah, we lost yes, you again. Sorry. Uh, Lave- this headset, I don't know what's going on with it, but I think I need to bring it back. Lavelle took, care of, Lave- right. Lavelle took care of it for you. It was fine. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> just finish my sentences, please. Then. <laughs> Cool. Um, let's, we'll wrap this up with uh, round five, which was Vital Objective. We're back to Dawn of War deployment on this one. Uh, I picked uh, – I was against Dustin, who was uh, from the Allentown, Pennsylvania area, super cool player. He brought this really interesting all-flyer Eldar list. He had two units of rangers and a farseer on a bike, uh, two artillery pieces, two um, tanks, and nine flyers. Uh, three of them were the psychic flyers, which I had never encountered before, and three were bombers. Basically, or with, they, had, they had like the, the heavy flamer attack. Uh, he had D scythe cannons on the tanks, and it was a cool list. So I picked them um, old school, which I hadn't chosen at all that day. Um, I had picked shoot the big ones because I knew I wanted to. I knew I had to take down. He had a lot of you know a lot of big uh, models to take down, and I chose marked for death uh, on those uh, the three squads of uh, rangers that he had. They were three five man squads. They, um, I lost this game. I lost this game handily. He uh, tabled me turn five. Having an all bolter shooting army against big flyers was not was not awesome. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> it was really interesting. You smite them to death. I tried. I, I did my best. I had a lot, I had a lot of smites. Unfortunately, with the gray knights, it's only a six inch smite, and it's only uh, one mortal wound. It fixed a one mortal wound. So that really that really stymied me in this game. Um, I had a ton of bolter shots from Land Raider, and all my storm bolters were were firing away. But uh, he had uh, you know minus one to hit, and then Jinxed plus Doom uh, cast against me were uh, really powerful um, crutches to put on my army. Uh, I was I just couldn't do very much in this game. I was able to take down I think two two flyers over the course of the game, or maybe a flyer and a tank at some point. 
Um, but he had a, you know, it was a really interesting list because there were very few boots on the grounds, on the ground. His movement phase was really cool because those Eldar flyers can turn, move, and then turn. So he was able to really weave all those flyers around the board in a really interesting kind of pattern of death and destruction, which uh, quickly undid everything that I was trying to do. It was, um, but, but Tam, hmm. Tam, how did he get any objectives? He had those rangers. He deep-struck those rangers turn two and was able to sit on the other side of the board from where all the action was at. Oh, and you couldn't get to him? No, no. He had a farseer on a bike that he was planting on an objective and then these rangers on the other end of the table. I had used astral aim to good effect, trying to take out some rangers from across the line of sight-blocking piece of terrain. Um, I had used... Uh, what else did I have to answer what, that with? What infantry did he have on the board turn one? Um, nothing. Uh, well, you have to. You, you can't start the game with just flyers on the board. He, so had, he had to have had something. Well, he had flyers. He had his farseer. He had um, the uh, artillery pieces and the tanks, if I recall correctly. I think that was it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. I guess he just. So, uh, well, 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 wait, wait. What were you thinking, Carlo? Oh, no. I was just thinking if you. How many flyers did he have? He had a total of nine flyers, I want to say. Three and three. Three of the psychic ones and three of the non-psychic ones. I have his list here. Let me see. Okay. So, I mean, with lists like that, you just kind of got to ignore the flyers and kill everything else as fast as possible. I mean, yeah, but it is hard to ignore those Eldar flyers. Yeah, they're pretty badass. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard to shoot them, too. They're minus two to hit. Yep. yep. Some of the time. So, he had a um, he had a Farseer on a bike. He had a... Um, a uh, warlock with uh, a shuriken pistol and a witchblade, uh, witch uh, three units of rangers, uh, two night spinners, two wave serpents, and yeah, three hemlock wraith fighters and three um, exarchs with uh, crimson hunter exarchs with um, star cannons. Yeah, but those rangers are minus one to hit or something like that. I think so. Yeah, the stats are on this this list, but it was a hard okay. army to shoot at. And he, you know, he played it smart. He brought them in turn three, had had objectives. He was going for end game scoring, so he was able to bring his rangers in on objectives that I was nowhere near. And with my bolter range, you know, I had no nothing I could do about it. I could try to run across the table and take him out, but it wasn't. I just wasn't getting there. And uh, it was it was interesting. It was I had never played against a list with that many flyers, which was, which was cool to see. Um, he had advised me, you know, his opponents had been taking out the tanks and the artillery pieces first, which was a good move, um, which is which was a good strategy. You know, like you had said, Carlo, kind of ignore the flyers for as long as possible and just go after the, you know, I wanted to get the HQ, I wanted to get the um, march for death on those tanks, and I wanted to get the rangers off the table. But the the way that I had deployed and the way that he was moving his flyers around, he had blocked my access to the the tanks and the artillery pieces with the flyers at one point for turn two and turn three. And he had so many that in his movement phase, he could do the same thing across turns three and four. So he was on, I was on his table edge blocked from the, you know, say the left-hand side of his table edge by all the bases of those flyers that I just could not get around. He played it smart. The, The vibe was great though. We had a really good game. Um, super fun. I'd be happy to play him again. It was he had a really good attitude, and the list was interesting. And I, you know, it was cool it, playing in, in events is cool because you play against lists that you would otherwise never see. And people who think about the game and think about their army 
and faction in ways that you would never think about, and he certainly did that. And uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, it was it was he was a fun person to lose to. It was twenty seven, eleven. So there wasn't you know not a lot of points scored on my my half for that one. But but again, if I had had some las cannons, maybe it would have gone a little differently. I could have done some more damage to the artillery pieces and the the wave serpents and the flyers a little bit earlier in the game. That would have been nice. Um, I just didn't. I, there was just no way for me to to put that game together with the the list that I had. Yeah. That was it. So that was the end of my tournament. I had felt good, uh, you know, energy-wise. It was fun. It was, you know, last game of the day. It was like, yeah, awesome. Got through four games. We're almost done here. It's going to be cool. Be done by, you know, late afternoon. Go home and have a groovy dinner and start the week off right on the next day. And so the energy was good. It was, a, it was, it was a good way to end the tournament. Yeah, Lavelle, what about you? Round five. So continuing with my um, my general theme here, I lost. 20 to 21. Oh, super close again. 20 to 21. And because, you know, no tournament with five rounds is complete unless at least four of them are against Castellans. There I was. <laughs> there, were, there were a lot of Castellans out there. It's true. There were a lot. You know, this Castellan, a Night Castellan, a Night Crusader, and another Night Crusader – um, along with, uh, you know, a bunch of, um, uh, what are they called? Uh, Skatari Rangers, two Tech Priest Ingenseer, um, and Acadian group. Yeah, this, this was so Matthew's was a- army that I had played on Saturday. Yeah. Yes, it was pretty good. A couple of things that I did right. In this particular one, I, I decided to get the Vindicare. I chose the Vindicare. So this is my fourth game and four. And this is my fifth game, and four of the games I chose the Eversor. And this one, I chose the Vindicare. And as always, he delivers. So I knew I needed to get rid of the um, the uh, the engine seers because I knew they were going to be repairing those knights. Right. And I was able, and I chose Mark for Death. Um, no, I'm not Mark for Death. Headhunter. I chose Headhunter, and I was able to do a lot of work there. A couple of things I did right and one major thing I did wrong. So I was able to get, I kept my um, what do they call, my acolytes back. And you know, when you look at the list, you, he chose Mark for Death and he chose all three acolytes, which is a great move. But I kept them back away from Eisenhorn to hold an objective. So I had them on an objective and it was it was it was done in such a way that allowed me to you know, he he couldn't shoot at the group. He had to shoot at each one individually to try to remove them. And that gave me some some ability. I did, deep struck a unit. I remembered it. And here is the critical mistake. I had one of his knights down to five wounds. Okay. And Eisenhorn has moved up. He's done his thing. But he didn't remove Eisenhorn. And on the Eisenhorn's on the other side of that wall. And I'm just moving so fast. I skipped that psychic phase, but here's why that mattered. One of his knights was down to five wounds. Had I remembered that psychic phase, I would have taken control of the Castellan and had it shoot at, um, (laughs) and here's my favorite thing. I did do it once. Have it shoot at that five wound knight that would have eliminated the knight and freed me up to focus all my shots on the other one. As it was now, I needed to eliminate. You follow that math there? Yep. I needed to de- develop, uh, devote um, 
Telemann shots to it, and that really that would have made the difference because I could have eliminated that night in the psychic phase and severe, severely reduced the Castellan. He won this game, and I I had put my units out and I moved them back, and he needed a move, move, move on his last turn to actually move his guard around to get them to within three inches of the objective that gave him that objective because he chose end game and he needed a six for that advance roll and he rolled a six. Wow. He rolled a six. Nice. So I felt that game, you know, on my second game, my second day, on those two games, I was really there. I was with it tactically. I had done all the right things and it was a really good game. You know, he won that game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I really like that army with the three knights. At first, I was like, holy crap, can I flip the table? Is it too heavy? Right. (laughs) And I said, "Okay, dig in and see what you can do. And it worked really well. At one point, I used Call's Wrath to um, to shoot it earlier. I used it to shoot the and I overcharged it and I rolled however many dice I rolled and he did three mortal wounds to itself. (laughs) Nice. In addition to shooting the other model, he said, "Wow, that was that was pretty much a twofer." Nice, nice. Yeah, Carl's, Carl's wrath was the uh, the relic plasma weapon that he had on uh, on the Castellan. Yeah, that 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 that's pretty mean. Yeah, yeah. But that final game was twenty to twenty one, and I really felt like you know I won, this is the second day I won my first game. The second game I didn't lose. He won. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good feeling. Totally. That's a good way to wrap up the tournament. Yeah, it's awesome. Good for you. Carlo, your Sunday. How did it end? Um, it ended actually. So this is a fourth loss for me, but it was actually a, a fairly close and fun game. Um, uh, Dawn of War again uh, played against Steve, the Tau player that Lavelle played against earlier. Um, we the I chose in uh, reconnaissance, mark for death, and. Uh, Strength of Rank and File, because he had so many groups. Um, I picked uh, Progressive Scoring for this one, because I knew I'd be able to uh, hold more objective on him, because he was going to castle up. Um, he uh, kind of, you know, castled up in one corner. Um, uh, for Mark for Death, I picked two broadside units, Pathfinders and the Keel. Um, the Ghost Keel, he had infiltrated like in the L right in front of me so I charge that for turn and kill it the um, mark uh, the uh, reconnaissance I was able to get all four turns um, so we ended up with a final score of 18 to 21 so Ooh, that's close uh, nice it was a tie it's with our primary and secondary points is a tie and then he beat me out on points destroyed. I didn't kill. I don't think I had killed any of uh, enough to reach five, even five hundred points of his army, and he killed wow. over fifteen hundred. It's so cool. it's by it. the end of the game, yeah, like he had al- he had tabled me by the end of the game, uh, almost. I think I had like two units left, but he had spent so much of the game in one corner that I was able to capitalize on a lot of the objectives. So. It's it's cool that it wasn't a very killy game for you, but you were still able to do so well on primaries and secondaries. That's kind of interesting. That speaks to the fact that you were just you know playing to the mission and staying focused on what you were trying to accomplish to get more victory points. Yeah, I mean, and by the end of the game, I had to fall back with my entire army. 
so unsuccessful like but I had to keep getting objective points. Yeah, so. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, um, but it was good. I had a lot of fun. Steve was a very nice guy. So awesome. Um, Let's, uh, let, let's wrap up this segment. We've been talking about um, Summer Slaughter 2019 for almost two hours. Um, it, was a, it was at Gamers Heaven in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Great store. Andrew, one of the owners, was there the whole time. Like He was you know, really engaged with everybody that was playing. They were whipping out some great ramen dishes from the kitchen. and The space is beautiful. It was you know, really large, kind of a double-wide uh, storefront kind of a situation. They had 30-plus tables of 40K and a number of AOS tables in the back. Uh, energy was great the whole weekend. It was super fun. Uh, the, the guys at Basement Wargaming did a, an excellent job. They used uh, uh, Best Coast pairings to keep everything, you know, moving along smoothly and to keep the uh, the pairings going and to keep everybody updated on what was what. So I think that was a, a smart move. Um, it was it was terrific. It was a really good time. I hope to get out there to Gamers Heaven to play some more games on a more regular basis, because uh, the armies are different out there. The uh, the level of competition is different out there, and it would force you know to force some uh, some some maybe some learning, some more growth on my part to become a better 40k player to mix it up with a different uh, a different crowd of gamers. It was a uh, it was a great weekend, um, and I came out I came out of it at the awards ceremony with the best sport trophy which was super cool. Um, it was a, a beautiful little clear and red acrylic trophy with best sport engraved on it. And with that came uh, two huge boxes of orc models, which just so happened to be exactly the, the orc boxes that I would need to flesh out this orc army that I've been talking about finishing for a while. So my aim now <laughs> is to uh, paint that orc army for their uh, holiday season charity tournament, which is a one-day doubles tournament with a lot of holiday gift-giving themed shenanigans that they're going to do on December 15th, which I think is a Sunday in December, which uh, is a you know charity tournament, one-day affair, should be super fun. So we'll plug that in uh, the future episodes as well. With that, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. And we're back. Let's wrap up this show. We hope you enjoyed our recap, a look back at Summer Slaughter 2019. We had a great time. Um, I know Carlo is looking forward to more GT play with his new competitive team that he's responsible for putting together. That'll be pretty awesome to see how that evolves. And it did charge me up to think a little bit harder when I'm playing the games. I wanna, I'd like to get a little bit better at 40k too. So that, uh, coming away from a, a solid tournament like that, where nothing but fun was had, despite it being a very competitive situation, it was definitely inspiring. It definitely inspired me to try to up my ante a little bit, try to up my game, which felt good. Felt really good. I know there's a, there's another podcast I listen to out of the UK um, called the Adeptus Terra podcast. Great bunch of guys. I've never met them in person, but they sound like a great bunch of guys. And they don't often play in tournaments because the scene around them, it just it just feels like like they're they they regard themselves as strictly narrative casual players. But even for narrative casual players, which I largely consider myself to be, I think it is important to see how other folks are playing at a very competitive level. Even if you get blown off the table, it is really cool to see somebody who has thought their army through every which way, who knows every strategy inside and out, who knows everything about this, that, and the other thing. It's, it's really fun to watch those folks play, and it's fun to be across the table from them while they're taking your army apart one model at a time. <laughs> so Carlo, it uh, yeah, it's it, it's cool. It's a learning experience, and when the vibe is right, it can be really super positive, despite the fact that so we lose. Before we go, I did want to talk about 
so we've been doing like these since we started this competitive team we've been do, doing practice right yeah. every other monday and sasha showed me a really neat trick in close combat with piling in that really helped me um so it's good to and just to reflect on you know seeing like playing with people that are at a competitive level and that excel in that level like like these tactics that get them there are just a better understanding of the game's rules right hmm. and it's like to to see it and it's not something that's like i think the thing that um uh unfortunately it's sometimes viewed as in competitive play is like when it all costs whack you know, and the two become confused sometimes. And I think uh, it's important to draw the, the line there that, you know, um, people that play competitively, you know, they still want to have fun with the game, you know, and they're still nice. A lot of them are very nice people. So, and I think that if you, if you're playing with someone that's playing competitively, just know that they know the rules, uh, entirely of the game right and they're making every uh they're taking every chance to make use of those rules and to their advantage and um i think i think we should all as players kind of work in that that direction to try and you know and it's hard with a game like 40k because there's so many rules that can be interpreted so many ways but uh, uh one a uh, good tool that I found is to just hang out on the, on the forums for competitive play and stuff like that. And, you know, I myself have not been much of a competitive player up until recently, but it's, it's a definitely a different way to enjoy the game and I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, um, but I, I think it's, uh, it's not as bad just for people that, that aren't familiar with it. It's not as bad as it sounds as, as you've experienced, mm-hmm. um, so I think it, I think it could be a lot of fun. I think I encourage everybody to try to try play like some tournaments because you run across some really uh, nice individuals and some people that can really teach you some stuff about the game that can uh, you know allow you to have a little bit more fun with it and it, 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 the game can seem more interesting then as well too. So that's a great point about using the rules to the that's what they're there for, right? They're there so the two people who know all the rules inside and out can have a really well-balanced match. So to say that better players just know the rules more intimately and how they specifically apply to the forces they brought to bear, I think that's a that's a really nice insight. That's a good thing to say out loud. I like that. Yeah, it's like something... It's like Alex showed me the other day, like we played a game and he pretty much coached me throughout the whole game. And he his suggestions allowed me to do things with my army that I couldn't I did not even see on the spectrum before hmm. right so if you're having trouble with your army and you know obviously some armies are higher tier than others right now but it's important to if if you're having trouble with your army then maybe instead of like redesigning lists and um going out of your way to buy new models you should first try to get a better understanding of the rules of the game 
Mm. Because those core roles are really, and understanding how to take advantage of every little consolidate and pile in and all that stuff that, uh, you know, things that get, sometimes we tend to, to hurry ourselves through those, those phases, you know, especially if you're not a close combat army, but those understanding how people can take advantage of that can really save you in a game. So really cool. Um, I will ask you to tell me this trick that you reviewed with Alex offline. So you don't give away any of your, your, your newfound knowledge. Oh yeah. I, and I'd love to share it, but, uh, it's just kind of hard to do it over a podcast. Oh, so maybe I'll draw a gotcha. picture or something like that. Yeah, but, we, we, we can post yeah. It. That's a good idea. We can post it. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Um, so let's do our picks of the month, our picks of the episode. Um, Carlo, you said you had recently rehabbed your hobby space. Was there anything, anything that you got to help you with that, to make it a little more usable, a little more user-friendly uh, that you might want to mention as uh, something that you're into in the hobby that's not exactly gaming-related? Um, I don't know. I think, so my pick, my, like, uh, what is this? This is, like, the Chosen, right? Yeah, exactly. We call this the Chosen. The Chosen, that's right. Yeah, the Chosen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my Chosen is going to be those Apocalypse boxes. Oh, like, nice. I was able to build a... 2000 point army for not nearly as much as what it should have been. Right. So like the riptide plus the commander and six crisis suits, and then like 13 or 14 drones is like 170 bucks retail. And then, you know, if you get a discount from your FLGS or wherever you go to buy um, your boxes and you can get it for considerably cheaper. And, uh, I, I think I put that army together for no more than five or six hundred bucks. That's you know, cool. which yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Very nice. What about you? That's a good question. I didn't notate anything down. I'm going to take a minute to think. Hmm. Do you have elevator music you could put in here? Yeah, I'll put in some elevator music for sure. <laughs> You know what I'll say? I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. You, you know, you know how you, Lavelle in the past has talked about those great, um, they're kind of leatherish deck holders. You know what I mean? It's like a, oh. it's it's made it's made for like playing like trading card games. You know, it's like a leather box, yes. the thing that pops off yep. the bottom. And he puts his objective cards in them. Exactly. He? Yeah. So yep. so I wanted a way to organize all my cards and dice and tape measures regards with relative to all the games that I play. You know, and so right now I have like rand- a random assortment of like little bags that I buy from Staples when they're in the clearance section, you know, like little pen cases and like a weird camouflage canvas sack for some reason. So this just last week, um, I was at a store that sold, sold magic stuff. So I bought these $2 and 49 cent plastic deck boxes. They hold a hundred cards each and I'm putting, I got eight of them. Right, so I'm putting like my work cards in there, my iron hands cards in there. My... Oh, perfect. So I'm keeping them organized. So now on my shelf, right, I just have okay. This is my Admech deck. So I have my Admech deck, a tape measure in that box, and I have grab the Grey Knights one, grab the thing for Infinity, grab the one for Relic Blade, or what have you. You know what I mean? Like just to keep it a little more organized, so that it's totally obsessive compulsive disorder that it should all look good in storage. <laughs> but it is nice to have it well organized in storage it was before this it was just kind of a shelf full of bits and kind of a mess so for two dollars and 49 cents i liked that idea better than spending some of those deck 
the real deck carriers, like if your cards are worth something, some of those get expensive, like they're 10 bucks or 20 bucks, oh, yeah. depending upon the thing, you know. And you know that these Warhammer, the 8th edition cards are going to be worthless in about two years or something exactly. anyway. So, yeah. right, right. There's, there's nothing collectible in these games, so you might as, well just, yeah. might as well just beat them up a little bit. But it's nice to have them all organized. So I'll say that those plastic, they feel like a, like a binder cover kind of material. So... While we're on that subject, mm-hmm. are you a person that saves codexes from previous editions and stuff like that, just for for lore and stuff like that? Exactly. Or do you do it for the sentimental value? No, I, I do it just for the art and the lore, and in case anybody's getting into the hobby or you know somebody's just curious about it, I say, yeah, check out this book. The rules aren't worth anything, but the story is kind of cool or whatever, you know. So I, I just I, I have a stash of stuff for that. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I do like all that. What's stuff. your limit on that? Are you going to just like, if you get, you know, eventually in 23rd edition, are you going to have to get a storage unit for all your 40K stuff? I'm going to throw, are you gonna... I'm going to have to start chucking. Yeah. Start yeah, chucking. chucking? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I try to be really practical too. I mean, how much of this stuff do you really need and how much does stuff do you all really need? All of it, need? Tim. <laughs> yeah, but... You need all of it. <laughs> but at, at, at some point... <laughs> At some point, I could probably start to get rid of like the weird collection of sixth edition books that I have that are, there's really no need to have them. You know, I have. I, I probably mentioned this in a past episode, but I went. I went out and I bought every codex or every uh, rule book that I could get my hands on for 40k, from first to throughout eighth. the editions. Yeah, so I have every rule book. I don't know why. I, I know you have the Rogue Trader book mm-hmm. that was like super rare. I got the, they I got the really it sweet, exactly. Like a week after you got it yep. or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, I got a good deal on it because it was beat to hell. So I had to watch a video on YouTube on how to rebind a book. And I bought like a rebinding tape and I got all fancy with it. And then like the week after, it was sitting right there at Adepticon. I was like, oh, uh, that's cool. I didn't have to spend four hours rebinding a book. <laughs> awesome. Live and learn, live and learn. It's all it's all an educational process, yeah. <laughs> With that, we will say goodbye. Thanks for listening for Crew Shake, and I have been Tim. And I'm Carlo. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>